This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday to you. Man, oh man. Nothing like a new day with a bunch of new changes. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff Simpson. Terry's out, I think, for the first time ever. Ever. Terry went on a trip with his family. It's not, uh, not, it's not the first trip ever, but it's the first time I think he's ever taken time off. You know, they've been telling him for years that he needs to take time off. Yeah. and uh, they, they, meaning uh, his doctor and parole officer. Right. Yeah. And he just has not done it. He, he hasn't done it. For some reason, he has this crazy idea that he has to be at work every day yeah. on time prepared. I know. I know. What you know? What a funny guy. <laughs> um, so guess what? We have a new board op. Becca Hurley is joining us. Becca has been training for a week under the um, leadership tutelage. I wouldn't call it tutelage. Okay. There was very little tutelage going on. I just wanted to toot my own horn. Becca, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. And you're you're incredible at your job already. Oh, it's all Jeff. It's all Jeff. Uh, I got to hand it to the sensei. <laughs> the sensei? Is that what he makes you call him? Oh, was I not supposed to say that? Well, if you probably notice that the board is a lot shinier because yeah. we've been doing a lot of waxing on and waxing <laughs> off. Yep. It's a very clean board. And Becca is the bomb. Becca's got a really cool history. Um, she is on what's called Divine Comedy, which is a comedy troupe here on campus. That's right. So she's going to be hilariously funny. And she comes from a family of clowns. This is true. Like true, real, literal clowns. Yep. It's mom clown was family. in Mom was in the Ringling Barnum & Bailey Circus, uh, toured with them in Japan. Did she really? She really did. Did she sign like autographs? Clown, um, clown? For me. Yeah. For me. No, I think she did. That's like but... some good heritage right there. <laughs> I did I not so. know that she was with Barnum & Bailey. Yeah. Do you know The Greatest Showman? That's yes. the greatest movie ever made. Yes. I can never get enough. Yeah, I can't either. Of it's, that movie. It's, um, I think Jeff even said on his show, Screen Cleaning, Greatest Movie Ever Made. Wrong. <laughs> what? That was rude. Wrong. There we go. This is why this is why I miss Terry. You know, this is this is exciting in a way, but in other ways, I it's a little too bad because I don't know that we can play Bob the Clowny Hunter anymore. I know she's on that BYU will, TV. That will I've already deleted it. <gasps> wow! Well, what are you going to do, boy? Wow. Speaking speaking of uh, Clowny Hunters, okay, where are you going with this? Uh, more changes in DC. Yeah, the VA secretary, which by the way apparently is like the second largest uh, organization in the cabinet. Do you think they've installed a literal revolving door yet? I think they're about to. I think there yeah. already is a revolving door at the White House. <laughs> really? I think so. Hmm. Um, but here's the deal. Former Veteran Secretary, uh, Secretary David Shulkin, is, I mean, the secretary is now the former secretary. He has been removed from, by President Trump and replaced, by the way, with President Trump's doctor. Interesting. Yeah. It's the, it's the second largest organization and then you think well who would be the best guy to replace this because it's in chaos Mm -hmm. has been in chaos for years so president trump thinks well my doctor's really good (laughs) my my doctor's got he's very warm-hearted great with people right so i'm just gonna make and he's uh he's in the military 
So I'll make him the new leader. I think the highlight of the story here is the parting shots that he takes at Washington on his way out the door. David Shulkin's on the way out not, of that revolving door, not leaving uh, quietly. And it makes you think: What types of things would you say if you were all of a sudden fired oh, from your boy. job? I would talk about you a lot. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, in a good way. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, he's not happy. He's not happy. What's he saying? Well, I mean, he's saying as many as you, as many of you know, I'm a physician, not a politician. Shulkin wrote uh, in a New York, New York Times uh, op-ed published after the firing. I came to government with an understanding that Washington can be ugly, but I assumed that I could avoid all of the ugliness by staying true to my values. Yeah. So, I mean, this this is a guy that. Uh, he apparently improperly accepted Wimbledon tennis tickets. Yeah. And his then chief of staff had doctored emails to justify his wife traveling to Europe with him at taxpayer expense. Not good things. Well, no, except they are Wimbledon tickets. Yeah. I mean, they, they've they got to give those away for free. No, I've been to those. Yeah, I've been to Wimbledon. I've never been. I've never had a ticket, though. Really? I mean, I've just been to the buildings when like no one was Like you were up on the, the electrical pole yeah, with binoculars watching, and looking over. Okay. But, so, yeah, I was picturing you sneaking in. You yeah. know, you've been, but not with tickets. That's it. Yeah. I, there wasn't even any matches being played. <laughs> so I was just I was just touching the, the, the uh, grass. Interesting. Yeah, kind of weird. So he's saying he's been falsely accused of things by people who wanted me out of the way. Uh, but despite these politically based attacks on me and my family's character, I am proud of my record and know that I acted with the utmost integrity. Unfortunately, none of that mattered. Then one of the last things he said, which I thought was interesting, as I prepare to leave government, I am struck by a recurring thought. It should not be this hard to serve your country. That is a true that's statement. A, that's a, Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, and, and who would even want to go through this process? Does Which Dr. You, Ronnie Jackson have any idea what's ahead of him? That Ronnie Jackson is the president's doctor. Oh, thank you. Dr. Ronnie Jackson. Yeah. I mean, he, he brings up a good point. And it's, it's kind of true. You see it in the news with all these different people that are turning down positions. They oh. just don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. No point. one wants to go near it. And, well, and some of it might be also just President Trump himself. So maybe some of this – remember, he's supposed to be draining the swamp. Mm-hmm. But if you, he also can't get anyone to work with him. He can't keep anybody. I mean, he's an executive. He understands you got you can't keep rotating people. You got to hire the right people, make the right decision up front, and then kind of go with it. Hmm. But that's not happening either. And then wouldn't it make more sense because the VA has has hospitals all over the country? Wouldn't it make sense that we actually get like a hospital administrator? No. Somebody that's maybe no. run large organizations? No. I mean, I get that the president's <laughs> doctors really – he's got gentle hands. He's been he's, in hospitals. And he's, he works in hospitals regularly. And he's probably a great guy. But the minute you have to go run 100,000 people, it's a whole different ballgame. You know, there may not be a lot of support around the president among those who could potentially work for him. But there is plenty of support – uh, from Hollywood now, oh, which is surprising, yeah. right? Well, well not, I shouldn't say plenty of support from within Hollywood. There's, there's a supporter yes. in Hollywood. Yes. And she just launched her revival show. And it was huge. The numbers were Roseanne. huge. Huge. I mean, so she's been off the air for 20 years. Yeah. And apparently it was like the biggest 
biggest ratings in like four years was it, like, for almost a premiere. 19 million people like bigger than than the premiere uh, of young it was Sheldon. 19 billion whoa, whoa 19 billion people billions and so. billions of people Thank you. Bigger numbers than uh, Young Sheldon premiering. Bigger, wow. uh, bigger numbers than the Will and Grace reboot. So just huge numbers. And I. So what did you is, watch it? No. Yeah. I watched a couple of clips, and they weren't bad. What I liked about the clips was that both sides of politics are being blasted. Are they? Yeah. Good. Equally. Yeah. I mean, I, Equal blastage. Yes. And I think people can appreciate that better when we're making – when everybody's making fun of themselves together. But what did President Donald Trump do after the premiere of Roseanne? Uh, he probably had pizza and then went to bed. He calls her up, oh. congratulates her on the huge numbers that she had he in did her really? debut. Yeah. Now, which is really interesting because – you know, he's had trouble with the like when the Warriors win the championship, they don't come to the White House uh, and the Patriots didn't come. Um, but when Roseanne launches a show that is very pro-Trump, he calls her. Well, I don't I didn't see the show. I don't know if it's pro-Trump, but she well, she's in pro-Trump. real life is pro-Trump. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the press ahead of time was saying that these are Trump voters. Her show is a Trump voter for Trump voters is all about. Well, that that kind of genre. I think at least the first episode anyway really highlighted some of the issues that America is facing right now. She is a a Trump supporter. Her sister, with whom she hasn't spoken in one year, was a Hillary supporter. Oh, boy. And because – like they haven't spoken because they voted for the other party, you know? Yeah. So it's it's true to life. It's totally true There are a lot of families that are going through that right now, I'm sure. Well, and honestly, it's it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if it – can last tons of nostalgia. A lot yeah, of people are going. Probably plays into it as well. But but it's also got to be good, right? Eighteen million viewers can't be wrong, right? Mm, sure, they can. Sure, they can. But it doesn't mean they are. So I'm I'm going to have to I'm going to watch it. I think on this spring break weekend. I'm going to be checking it out. What are you going to be doing for your uh, weekend? Uh, I I actually have got a huge trip planned. St. George? So, mm-hmm. St. George? Well, with my whole family, pretty much. Wow. Well, except for the ones that choose to go with other families. Oh, that's sad. The ones that we won't be talking to for a year. Hmm. Anywho. Could be worse. Yeah. They could have voted for the, the political party that you didn't want them to. That's true, too. Except my kids can't vote. They're all underage. <laughs> um, okay, so up next, we're going to be talking about social media. Is social media making us ruder? Is ruder a word? Sure. It is now. Is social media affecting us in a, in a negative way? We'll be talking about it up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We are in a digital era. For information, we turn to Google. For communications, we turn to email. For friends, we turn to social media. Also in this digital era, we have internet trolls 
And, uh, you know, between Twitter feuds and Facebook rants, we seem we see that rudeness is on the rise. It seems to be the new normal. Is it possible that social media is actually make us, making us more rude toward one another? Are we becoming ruder? Well, who better to help us with that than somebody that's been researching the subject? Mariana Plata joins us. She's a licensed psychologist from Panama, currently finishing her master's degree in child and adolescent psychology. And she is also a play therapist in training for the from the Association for Play Therapy and mental health writer and a public speaker. Mariana, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an important issue because I am sensing with in my own life, with my own clients and with my kids, we are, it seems like, getting kind of more short with each other. We're, we're daring to say things we might not normally say. Are we becoming ruder? Well, I absolutely agree with you, and I and the the reason why I decided to write this article was precisely the digital era. And the interesting thing that I came across with when I when I started researching for this article, speaking to Danny Wallace, who wrote the book "F You Very Much: The Surprising Truth About Why People Are So Rude," is that it's actually due to the lack of eye contact, which it's not surprising to hear anonymity and what is allowed, what we're allowed to do in social media gives us kind of a carte blanche to say what we want, tweet what we want, and self-proclaim ourselves as experts sometimes. And that leads to, you know, more internet trolls and more rudeness spreading throughout social media and throughout the digital realm. Interesting. So it's the eye contact. It's the fact that I'm not looking in your eyes when I say this and seeing your reaction and feeling a little intimidation from that. Um, it's more I, because I don't have that. I, I feel maybe more emboldened. Right. And I think it's, it's also due and connected to something that, that Danny writes about in his book is that it's also due to the fact that there's no one holding up that mirror and confronting our rudeness. Whereas if we're having personal interactions, let's say you're outside in a supermarket and someone cuts in line and, you know, the person, you get upset and you confront that person and you can say, excuse me, I'm in line here first, and other people are witnessing that. So they're kind of being held more accountable for their actions. But that accountability for some people, for those internet trolls, seems to just be something that they brush off and that they don't take into consideration and that they don't necessarily need to change their behavior. So whereas someone who has been rude without intention gets that kind of looking glass effect back to them and say, hey, you're being rude, might feel that shame or that guilt of making someone else feel worse. Internet trolls, on the contrary, get a sense of reward from doing that. So that's the whole reason why we advocate for a psychologist. And And it's interesting to look at Internet trolls because they really are bullies, to look at it within that bully theory that if you don't, you know, bite that bait and you don't engage with them, you're not giving them what they want and they will look for that somewhere else. Mm. So that engaging in those internet discussions and those 
Twitter rants and Facebook rants and Twitter feuds actually give those internet trolls more power than they originally had. Okay. Talk to us. Explain uh, for those that, that may not know, define what an internet troll is and, and how what techniques they use to get their bully messages out there. Right. So an internet troll is a person who is seeking for opportunities and spaces to spread rudeness and negativity and to make people feel bad. It's when you when you look at it this way and I and I show it to some people who get, you know, sometimes I either get patients or friends or family members who tell me about a Facebook rant that they got into. And when I explain it to them that way, they react with well, that's kind of sad that they, you know, they spent their entire day behind a computer or behind a screen or a tablet or a cell phone lurking and looking for opportunities to take advantage of those most vulnerable. But that, that's literally what they do. And it comes from a place of an emotional insecurity that they have. And when people engage with them, it kind of sends off the message, oh, People are paying attention to me. People are paying attention to what I what I say. Therefore, what I'm saying is important. Hmm. Therefore, I am important. So it really is a negative cycle that they engage in. And when you understand that they're engaging in this cycle from insecurity, you kind of look at it with a more objective kind of perspective. And it's not as subjective and as emotional as that person is trying to piss me off or make me feel bad or make me feel hurt or make me feel angry, but it talks more about them than it does about myself. Yeah. Is it because they're not, they're also, this isn't a debate. They're, they're just trying to make you mad. Their job is, I mean, their, their response is not one of construction and constructivism and healthy uh, conversation. It is a negative bullying. Exactly. And that, there's actually a, a paper that was published in the Journal of Personality and Individual Differences that does that same clarification, internet trolls versus people who engage in a healthy debate. And I think the main difference is that internet trolls go with a fixed mindset of what they are, of the topic they're engaging in. And they're not going to change that. Whereas people who engage in debate have a much more flexible stance and are open to learning or changing or tweaking their their perspective or their paradigm or their perception of the topic that's being um, in, that's in the table and the digital table, so to speak. Yeah. So you you found in in the research and in some of the things you've been looking at uh, that it's the lack of eye contact. Um, that that starts to maybe enable people that want to troll to kind of validate their own identity. They they then start to get feedback that hey this is working and it emboldens them. But so that then then it creates this kind of rudeness factor. But when one person's rude to another person, doesn't that doesn't that almost create like a contagion of rudeness? Absolutely, absolutely. Rudeness is contagious precisely because. Type it in, in the research that's been found, rudeness acts like a neurotoxin in our system. So a neurotoxin is exactly what it what it what it self explains. It 
a toxic substance that affects our nervous system and affects our brain. And when it affects our brain, it affects our ability to think straight, it affects our memory, it affects our communication style. So it really is an epidemic. And the whole theory of holding back that looking glass, as I was mentioning earlier, prevents that cycle from carrying on. So if one person is rude, let's say I'm at a workplace and I have... I go in with a with a pleasant perspective, and I go in happy. Uh, I've had a good day so far, and I receive a, a rude comment from a colleague or from my boss. If I don't confront that head on, then I'm going to go and carry away that neurotoxin. I'm going to carry away that rudeness. Personally, I run away from confrontation. I get very, very nervous when someone is being rude to me and I'm not sure how to confront it because I look at the word confrontation to to me has a negative connotation. In my head, until I started reading about this, it meant that I had to be equally aggressive. But in reality, that confrontation means explaining your point of view, explaining how that person made you feel starting with an I statement. We're big fans of I statements because when we start with an you, when we start a conversation with you did this and you made me feel that way, the other person will be a lot more defensive, whereas if you start with an I felt hurt when you did this or when you said this, it kind of disarms the other person. So starting with I statements where you explain how that other person made you feel and doing it in a respectful and assertive way. Because if we understand objectively that that person is coming from an aggressive point of view, if I add more aggression to that, then it will just become a never-ending storm of rudeness and of negativity. So you kind of want to be mindful of what's your purpose in this discussion and and holding that mirror onto onto people and just being okay with the fact that some people might want to look at their reflection and some people might not want to look at their reflection. But that confrontation comes from a place of not keeping of trying to not keep that inside of you and not holding on that grudge or that rudeness so that it doesn't spread to your other, you know, communities and relationships. Yeah, and I guess not react to it, not let it take over my emotion and and use the I statement with the other to say, hey, you know, I, when you say it that way, I, I feel this and this and this. Or it, it, The power of this, I guess, is starting to get some of my thoughts out um, but also see if we can't turn it more constructive. And then I guess in the end, if they react to it and they become more emboldened and more angry than than what we probably know of a troll that's just trying to create, you know, you know, right. frenzy. And it says, and and at the end, says more about them than it does about you. Yeah. And I I know that in paper. This sounds very easy, but in the moment, you get carried away because, of course. They, I love the theory that Dr. Um, Daniel Spiegel, who's, a, who's an eminence in the world of uh, interpersonal neurobiology, explains that it, it kind of awakens our reptile brain, which is our most instinctive part of our you know, being. 
And in that moment, it's going to awaken that brain, but it's, it's also not letting that reptile brain or that reptilian brain take control over you, but you take control over it. Yeah. So when we consciously say, okay, this person is being rude, when we stop for a minute, when we receive that rudeness and say, okay, this person is being rude, and it probably has something to do with something that happened to them, not something that I'm doing, then we can get into a healthy confrontation and then assertive communication to kind of end that cycle. Yeah. Again, we're speaking with Mariana Plata, who is a licensed psychologist from Panama and is currently finishing her master's degree in child and adolescent clinical psychology. And she's helping us understand uh, and wrote a wonderful article on is social media making us ruder. She's talking about the fact that a lot of times when you're engaging somebody that's being really rude or mean online, they, they've they got their own issues. They're, they've got problems that they they're just emboldened if you fight back with them and it might be better instead to recognize who they are don't take the bait don't think it's about you and instead see them for what they are is it is it better do you think in the end mariana to just ignore it or to confront it do we i mean to some degree we want to push back so that others are, I guess, protected as well, but it also doesn't seem to help sometimes to push back. Right, and that's a that's a great question, and I think it depends a lot on who is it coming from. Because if we have, let's say, a close friend, or even in our own romantic relationships with our partners, if there has been a consistent um, pattern of rudeness, which isn't typical or isn't ordinary, I think it's valuable to confront that and kind of clarify because this is a relationship that you want to keep in your life. Yeah. So um, I, I think in, you have to make a decision of kind of, is, it, is this worth it? Is it worth the fight? And, and also learn how to choose your battles because it's exhausting to have to educate everyone and to have to, nor is it people's responsibility to hold that looking glass all the time. So I think it's kind of a pick and choose situation. Um, if If it's a relationship where, you know, you're going to have to continue seeing this person and you know that it isn't something ordinary and it isn't something normal, um, for this person to be reacting this way, then I think it's, it's healthy to have this conversation. But if it's, you know, uh, something that happens when you're driving, that someone cuts in line, or um, this type of scenarios, it, it really depends up to you if you want to um, point that out to people. Yeah. And well, I also yeah. think that there are certain situations, for example, if you're having a customer service, situation. For example, if you're going to a restaurant or you're going to the store or, you know, you are buying a product, I think it's also important to have these type of situations, this, these type of conversations, sorry, because these are the people that will continue to have relationships with other people and they might not be aware that what they're doing is, is being rude. And if they react defensively at the first sign of you trying to open those conversations, then I would say just let it go 
and understand that it has something to do with them and, again, not something to do with you. Yeah, no, I think that's such great advice. Mariana, thank you for your insight and your time and uh, and just your willingness to help us understand this this uh, rude or, uh, you know, less than ideal kind of world we're now living in. Uh, it really, I think, helps all of us. Again, Mariana Plata is a licensed psychologist from Panama, and uh, you can read more on Psychology Today um, about, uh, about this uh, problem we're having with social media and ruder people. We will continue the journey, folks, doing what we can to help create a healthier, happier life for all of us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about as a coach, but uh, one that has been weighing on my mind lately is uh, just how do we how do we take our marriages and make them happy? We live in this day and age where everyone's seeking happiness, and supposedly we've never been healthier, we've never been uh, wealthier as a people, we've never had more opportunities, more information, more technology, as we talked about. Uh, in the last segment. And yet, do you feel happier as a couple? Um, Interestingly, there's a lot of research going on today, too, about happiness. It's this uh, positive psychology movement. And uh, in that research, what they've done is instead of focusing so much on what makes people unhappy, the latest movement in positive psychology is to identify what do happy people do that the rest of us aren't doing. And especially today, we could talk about what are the happy couples doing in life that the rest of us could start practicing. So I wanted to run through a few of those ideas, hopefully give you a little spark, something that you could go home and and do today in your relationship. One thing is they show gratitude to each other daily. Research shows that gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improves their health, deals with adversity, and helps them build strong relationships. Just a simple word of gratitude every day um, gratitude, by the way, is derived from the Latin word gratia, which means grace or graciousness or gratefulness. And so do you show gratitude daily? Do you actually say thank you for the little things that your partner does for you? Do you notice the things in the world and and show gratitude for what you've been given? Simply put, do you notice today things that matter? Uh, I was speaking to a, a client recently that is – that feels really depressed, and um, the world is just kind of closing in on her and 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 beating her up, quite honestly. And what happens is, then you start getting into these defensive mechanisms, these defensive routines, where you just have to protect yourself. And one of the most common defensive mechanisms is what's called negative interpretation, where you start seeing negativity everywhere in the world. Uh, the story I always tell is if you were if you were bit by a rattlesnake, let's say, or a snake, any snake in your garden, when you go to the garden every time, your body and mind are going to try to protect you. And as they try to protect you, they're going to think of everything as a snake. So when you see the hose of, uh, in the grass around the garden, you will assume it's a snake. When you see the... Um, when you see the rake, you know, in the grass, you will think of it as a snake and your body and mind start to think of everything as the negative thing. And that same thing happens in our lives. 
in our marriages, we start to become negative interpreters where, you know, why didn't your wife, you know, pour you a, a bowl or make you a bowl of ice cream? Why She made the kids a bowl of ice cream, but she didn't get you one. And then we immediately turn that into a negative interpretation. Well, because she doesn't even care. She, I mean, she got herself ice cream and the kids ice cream. And, and then we go, down the, we go down what I call the low road. When in reality, it might just be that you're out of ice cream. <laughs> and she didn't get a bowl of ice cream either. And just the kids got the ice cream. Because those are the ones that were complaining about it. And so negative interpreting. So the way we fix that is we just force ourselves in a way to start to see the good every day. So here's an assignment. By the way, it's the assignment we gave this uh, young woman who was falling into depression and struggling. And it was simply to, I, I wanted her to identify three, you know, uh, three moments in the day, every day, where she felt kind of like a, a blessing from God or she felt something really good and saw something really good that happened to her. A sign that life is good, a sign that she is loved, a sign that she's important and cared for. Find three a day and bring them back to me a week later, which she did. And uh, she was able to find three a day, and her mood had had changed dramatically. She's now starting to see the blessings. Then you can count those blessings, right? So the same is true in our marriages. Let's show more gratitude to each other. It's just one idea, but write a thank you note to your spouse. Thank them for helping you. Talk about it. Thank them for everything that they they do and, and give you every day. Keep a gratitude journal where you write down the three things every day that are your blessings. Start counting those blessings. Tell everybody every day about your blessings. Talk positively about people behind their back. Talk so positively about your spouse to someone else that, uh, you know, and, and then see if that positivity ever makes it back to your spouse. How cool is that when you know, you go to church or you're hanging out with somebody and all of a sudden they're saying, oh yeah, your wife was telling me what a great job you did on whatever. It lifts everybody. Gratitude. Let's infuse our marriages and all of our relationships with a little more gratitude. Is it just positivity? Kind of, but it's also reality. A lot of the things going on in your world are very, very positive. And the more we emphasize them, the more uh, they may grow. Just my thought. We'll continue the journey more straight ahead. Up next, we'll be talking about marriage arguments and their effects on children. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, you know what we like to do is revisit some of our past interviews, and one of our great contributors on the show is Dr. Brian Willoughby. He's an associate professor in the School of Family Life right here at Brigham Young University and uh, is an expert in you know uh, many marriage and relationship issues. A few months back, Dr. Willoughby joined us on the show and talked about marriage arguments and the effects on their children, and we wanted to revisit a bit of that interview. We began the interview talking about why arguing in front of our children is such a big deal. Probably get into this a little bit yeah. more. If you don't fight in front of your kids, that's actually a problem, is which it really? is counterintuitive. Yeah, like you said, we think we don't want our kids to think we fight. We, right. want, we want our kids to think we have this great, perfect marriage. And and actually, the kids that grow up never seeing their parents fight, they struggle a lot when they're young adults in their relationships. No, is it because they don't? It's a concept that they don't even think happens. 
Yeah, it's it's partially that, and it's mostly though because they don't know how to resolve conflict huh. because everyone has conflict, even yeah. if you don't see your parents fight. Even the healthiest have, couples, yeah, even the healthiest have couples have conflict. In fact, couples that don't have conflict tend to have some underlying issues. They're not dealing. <laughs> they're with. hiding something. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, if I never saw my parents fight, that's my primary model for what a relationship is supposed to be like. Hmm. I'm looking at my parents and, and saying, "That's what I'm supposed to be doing as a husband." as a wife, as a spouse in general, if I never saw them resolve conflict, I get in my own committed relationships as a young adult, and I don't know how to resolve them anymore because I never saw that happen. You don't see that in movies yeah, either. No, you don't see no. that in TV. You don't see that in the media. And so all of a sudden, one, I don't have those skills to resolve conflict, and two, I have a lot of anxiety about it. Wait a minute. My parents never fought, or at yeah. least I think they never fought. And now fought. we're fighting. Now we're fighting. I must have a bad relationship. It's so that is so counterintuitive, and, and then you can almost see that parents might say, "Well, okay, so we're having tension. Let's just talk about that in the bedroom." Right. But mm-hmm. so you really, we don't want to take it necessarily offline every time. No, you no. need to address it. Yeah, and then that doesn't mean sit your kids down and watch them. Yeah. You know, have here goes mom and dad. Here we go. Round go at one. each other. And obviously, <laughs> certain topics you probably want to keep private, but but that doesn't mean that they can't know that. Hey, you know. There might have been a little tension yesterday, yeah. but we want you to know that me and mom, me and your mom sat down. We talked about it and we resolved it. That is so – that's – it's isn't that – that's so counterintuitive. Oh, yeah. Well, and the, the thing too is that we think the kids can't pick up yeah. on oh, tension. Yeah, kids don't. Kids but don't they know. do all they, the time. And so they think, well, they, they don't – as long as we keep it in the bedroom, we don't fight in front of them, yeah. that they're not going to notice. But they do notice. And one of the reasons they notice is because when you're mad at someone – even if you're not talking to them about it, you're still showing them through yeah. nonverbal language, That's right. through all these other things that you're doing, being passive aggressive, et cetera. And the kids are n- now learning that. Interesting. And I mean, kids know too. I had somebody just recently say, oh yeah, my mom's so passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. And that was a 16 year old girl. Yeah. And I'm like, where did you learn those terms? Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. In fact, I spent a lot of the last month listening to interviews of a uh, hundred young adults just talking about marriage and relationships. And one of the questions we ask them is, what influenced you, how you think about relationships? And, and time and time again, the first thing that usually comes up is mom and dad. And what a lot of them are saying has been very fascinating. A lot of them grew up, their parents are still together, have been married for 20, 30, 40 years. But they're still saying, you know what? I never want to get married because I saw how miserable my parents were. Uh, they didn't fight. Yeah. They, they weren't physical. There wasn't abuse. But I could tell my mom hated her life. That's what they think. Interesting. It, she was never happy or my dad was never happy. There's always this tension. Why would I ever want to be in that kind of relationship? Yeah. And, and they attribute it to marriage when mm-hmm. it could just be tension. It could right. just be life. It could be family. It yep. could be kids. It could be your parents are ailing. Yeah. Yeah. That's depressing. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, it's such a... But you sit there and do this all day long. I mean, it's... Is there is that why a lot of these millennials aren't choosing to marriage? Do you, marry? Do you think it's a part of it? Yeah, the, the, it feeds into this mentality that marriage is a trap. Yeah, that it's something that's going to make my life worse, not better. And again, they they rely a lot on on parents. Is there that's their primary example of what at least for most of them, sure, what marriage is like. And they're looking at their parents, they're looking at their mom and dad, and saying, "Is that what I want?" For my life, is that yeah. the kind of relationship that I want? So, if we have if if we have this tension, this the relationship's not feeling positive as a couple. What I mean, I'm sure there's more harmful ways to handle conflict, mm-hmm. and there's probably less harmful ways. Right. But it seems like the typical is like you were saying, 
this some of us just withdraw from it we just walk away like blah la 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 right. pretend like that's not happening and some want to engage it what what are what are kind of what are the harmful ways what are the less harmful ways what are the healthy ways we right. should have conflict when we're around our kids right well we can start with the the harmful ways because that's what most of us do yeah, that's what we're a good lot at. of the times you know obviously there there's kind of the far extreme where you've got physical violence emotional yeah. violence verbal abuse and that's not a good thing for kids to see that's it's not a good thing chart. for any kind of family dynamic um but there's there's more subtle ways that conflict can be unhealthy too you know back to the passive aggressive thing is if 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 we tend to put a cold shoulder towards our, our partner and we tend to kind of shun and not interact with them yeah. and kind of try to show them we're upset with them by by not communicating or not engaging with them um that's that's a really strong negative thing that kids will pick up on oh mm. mom's Mad at dad. Yeah. Dad's mad at mom. And now look, we're not, you know, <laughs> we're not sitting down and talking anymore. Dad didn't come to dinner tonight, or, yeah. or they're, they're not coming. You know, and that, that tends to spill over then to how we interact in our, our family time with our kids. Well, see, some people say that now oh, that's so much healthier than yelling. Not it's, necessarily. It's dysfunctional, just on the other side right. of the spectrum. Right. Exactly. Um, and then there's things like. Interrupting is a huge thing. I uh. talk to my students all a lot about that is when one parent interrupts the other one because that, that, that signifies power in the relationship. When I interrupt you, I'm telling you through my community, through the interrupting, yeah. that I don't think what you say matters. Interesting. Um, and so kids will pick up on little subtle communication, things like that, like interrupting, um, being defensive, um, kind of attacking and blaming our partner, all the, all these kind of fighting things that we tend to do a lot, kids pick up on those It's intensity too. I mean, have, I've yeah. just seen with a lot of my clients that some just have learned if I bring intensity, mm-hmm. you can't handle it. Right. So I will just blow your, right. uh, what are they called? Your circuits. I'll mm-hmm. blow, blow the circuit breakers yeah. in you and this will be done. Right. I'm going to flood you with as uh-huh. much intensity as I can. And it can just be quiet, down. shaking yeah. and, and again, steaming. Yeah. Going back to what I said, that's when kids will start picking up. Okay. So dad, let's say dad does that. Yeah. Right. And mom kind of sits back and dad usually gets his way. The kids are sitting back and saying, you know, especially if you look at a, a daughter, mm-hmm. you know, where mom's that kind of primary female role model, she's looking at mom saying, wow, wow. Well, I don't want that to happen yeah. to me. I don't want to have to be in a relationship where I have to sit back and take that. And we start generalizing. I think, okay, even though that's just one marriage, mm-hmm. I start thinking, well, that's that's what marriage is like. Well, that's a, that was an interesting benefit. I grew up – my parents divorced when I was eight. Mm-hmm. So I grew up kind of always assuming I didn't have a good example, mm-hmm. even though I, th- I had good examples of parents. But I didn't have a good example of a relationship. So I was always looking. So I'd go to every friend's house and I'd watch their parents. I was like the creepy Townsend kid that (laughs) – why is he always watching us? But I I, I mean I gained a lot of information about different styles and I saw some parents touching a lot more and I could Mm -hmm. tell some never did. But it's – that's the deal. We have usually one role model if any, not 10. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like we need 10. Yeah. Yeah. And that's – my, I know my advisor in graduate school um, was really big on what he called marriage mentors, which is kind of yeah. the same idea. He, I love he, he had this idea. whole idea of, you know, we need to get a lot of mentors in our life, a lot of good marriages. And, and we actually have done a couple of research projects with really low income families um, that have no models yeah. at all. You know, yeah. their, their parents divorced or were never married to begin with in, in most cases. And let's find some stable marriage People who have been married for 40, 50 years, yeah. and let's just put them together with these young couples, young parents, 
and and let them have that good example of you can make it. You can it's do possible. this. I think that's really cool. And it almost seems like a role that like a church would play, mm-hmm. kind of like a pastor and his wife could yeah. go be great mentors. Yeah. You got to almost have a relationship. You almost can't bring in a social worker right. and her husband. To, like, Here we go. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? You need to see real stories uh-huh. and, and real people that have struggled, that are open with their struggles uh-huh. too, back to the conflict um, thing. It's 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 powerful to see a healthy, stable couple that's open with, we struggled and we did fight and we did have conflict, but we got through it. That's really, the, the mentor idea is huge, isn't mm-hmm. it? And it's something too that maybe, I had a couple the other day that's about to get married and they're like, what would you suggest? And right now I would suggest go find 10 couples. Right, yeah. And just go start interviewing them. Yeah, yeah, it's something I do in my class. Do I you do them, that? Yeah, interview someone who's been married at least 20 or 30 years and, and talk ha- talk to them about the struggles and how they went through it and, and a, try to open their eyes a little bit because, again, really yeah. newlyweds, they get in this mindset of <laughs> as soon as we fight, the marriage is over. It's over. No, it's I remember over. that. My first fight, I'm like, so uh, divorce me. Yep. And my yep. wife, her head spun around, true yep. story, all the way around. And she talked like this. <laughs> and she said, don't ever say that word again. Right. Dunk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. And there's, then there's all this anxiety of yeah. you know, how we can do this. Welcome back, friends. You know, um, love ain't easy. It ain't easy. But it is important that we find a way to to make it work and to, to stick in, in the relationship, to stay in until it is working. So we'll continue to give you the latest and greatest, the insights you need to love stronger and to lead healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, along with Jeffrey Liam Simpson and Becca Hurley. How come you didn't say her middle name? I don't know Becca's middle name. Do you have a middle name, Becca? Francesca. Becca Francesca Hurley. Becca is the new Jeff. Jeff's the new Terry. And Terry is on vacation for the first time, I think, in history of the South. Do you think he's got the jitterbugs right now? No. Really? I'm pretty sure he was inoculated. He had all of his shots before he went on his vacation. I just picture him probably listening to the show right now to make sure that things are on, on course. Yeah. And he's probably reading the news while he's waiting in line you, you at think? Legoland. No, you know what? I'm I'm going to bet he's got a life. And, I'm not saying he doesn't. And he's chosen to just move on and get on with his day. See, I can kind of picture Terry having fun, though. Like, this is vacation. Now he gets to hear the show without working on the show. No, I'm pretty sure know. he does not want to listen to the show on vacation. As one that goes on vacation regularly and... I don't even listen to the show, and it's got my name on it. I don't know. He's already been a part of the show today. We don't have to get into that. Yeah. He's already been a part. Let's just say a little rubber ducky incident. Oh, and we're going to be talking about that here in just a second. A little rubber ducky was sneaking in on it. But uh, we do have to welcome Becca Becca Francesca Hurley. (laughs) All right, I lied. It's, It's actually Mildred. Yeah, okay. Oh, she tricked you. She's a trickster. She comes from a long line of uh, clowns, Barnum and Bailey circus clown, mom. Dad was uh, went to clown school. 
So actually, so mom was the one who went to clown school. Uh, dad was going to be a teacher, and then they settled down, and uh, mom kind of roped him into it. He never yeah. planned to be a clown. Do you are you born a clown or do you learn to become a clown? <laughs> oh no no no! You're definitely born a clown. Like I had my clown name uh, in utero. Like they did you really? Oh, really? Yeah, that happens. Uh, yeah. Can you share your clown name? Or oh yeah, is it very I'm, private. I'm Teaspoon. Teaspoon. Mm-hmm. So mom's oh. half pint, dad's Oscar. I'm Teaspoon, and then uh, yeah, my brothers are Lil Squirt and Thumper. Whoa. So now wait a minute. When you, Oh, that's funny. When your mom retires from clowning, is it is it uh the idea that you are going to carry on the tradition? I don't think I'll ever stop, honestly. Like I, really? I I'd love to always stay involved, but uh you know, my family's kind of built their whole lives around it and I yeah. I don't know if I can do the same thing. There's just there's I'd, no way to fill those big, big shoes. <laughs> You took my joke. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, boy. It's, she's been doing that joke for years. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, do you get mad, just to, to to talk about this for a minute longer, do you get mad when people like Jeff um, like try to like downplay the importance of clowns? What are you talking about? And Because like, Jeff was really big in the clowny hunter movement, the people that were kind of anti-clown, oh, trying that to chase a... clowns, clowns down. That, okay, so that was a little freaky because as real clowns, you know, yeah. suddenly there's this huge trend of... Anti-clown Right, people. yeah. I remember yeah. I heard on the radio there were people saying, uh, you know, if you see a clown, take matters into your own hands. If and you see a clown, take him if down. If you see something, say something. <laughs> yeah, so that was, uh, that was a little weird. But I don't, I mean, I don't know. Those people are just... I'm more mad at the people who are doing that, who are like yeah. taking They're, clowns yeah. and making it like this... I, re- I resent that you you label me as anti-clown. No, hold on. You are a clownsman. Yeah, I'm one of them in a way. I don't put on the no, makeup. I don't wear the big shoes. I don't do balloons or you, anything. Do you get mad when people like pretend like they're a clown that they're and they're not? Like Jeff sometimes clowns around too much. Don says. <laughs> no, I don't get mad. Don the boss is always like, we call him the Don. But he's always like, <laughs> don't, don't you think Jeff clowns around too much? And um, now it means a whole different thing now that you're here with us, Becca. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's a compliment. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. <sighs> Becca Francesca Hurley, our new mm-hmm. uh, board operator. Jeff has been training her. And Jeff is now the new Terry. For a day or two. Yeah. Yeah. And then things just shift back. <laughs> It's just how this thing works. <laughs> hey, uh, crazy news um, going on in Washington, D.C. Um, th- interesting because it seems like the president gets so much negative press that you would think that he's just slowly single-handedly destroying the GOP. And as of January, according to polling, they've, he was down the, – the GOP was down 16 points, giving the Democrats a 16-point edge for the midterm elections that are coming up. However, in a recent poll from CNN conducted by SSRS, they find that it's actually 50 percent of registered voters say they'll prefer a Democrat in their congressional district. Forty four percent say they'll, uh, they want a Republican, which means that the Dems have lost a 16 or uh, 10 points down from their 16 point edge. They're only about five or six points ahead now. You know who he has to thank for that, right? Who? Roseanne Barr. <sighs> Totally, Roseanne. No. 18 million viewers tu- tuned in to her show about 
a Trump supporter, and she in real life is a Trump supporter herself. No, but remember, the president's lost Rex Tillerson, fired Rex Tillerson, fired McMaster, fired the VA guy, hired his doctor. He has women coming out of the woodwork with problems and mm-hmm. issues. Maybe he should hire Roseanne. Hmm. I mean, Roseanne did make a comeback. She made a huge comeback. Yeah. Shows don't make – they don't have those kinds of numbers anymore. Well, I know. But will it continue is the thing. Only time will Anybody tell. can get 18 and a half million viewers once. Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, OK. Any other headlines, Jeffrey, that you're following? Yeah. Did you hear about this riot at a Venezuelan jail? Yeah. Talk about that. That's so crazy. At least 68 people died when a fire broke out during a riot in the jail area of a police station in Venezuela. Venezuela Attorney General Tarek William Saab wrote on Twitter that 66 of the victims were men, while two were women who were visiting the police station overnight. They were also killed. Uh, He wrote that four prosecutors would investigate to clarify what happened at the police station in the city of Valencia. And uh, angry relatives of detainees gathered to face police in riot gear outside the facility where police fired tear gas to disperse crowds. I don't know if my son is dead or alive, Ada Para told the Associated Press. They haven't told mm. me anything. So Venezuela's prisons are notoriously overcrowded and in poor condition. Workers at the scene told the New York Times that the jail area, which is part of the police station, had a capacity for about 60 prisoners. The uh, the fire spread via mattresses in the jail, oh, no. according to the AP. But that's a lot of times that's part of the riot, right? So they yeah. start things on fire. These, these do not sound like pleasant places, to say the no. least. Corruption, weak security, deteriorating uh, infrastructure, overcrowding, insufficient staffing, and poorly trained guards allow armed gangs to exercise effective control over inmate populations within prisons. Uh, and let me just give you some more numbers here. Um As of 2015, roughly 50,000 inmates were being kept in prisons meant for only 19,000. Holy cow. So jail cells meant for temporary overnight holding packed in 33,000 people in space uh, meant for 5,000. Cells are so crowded that prisoners have to take turns to sleep on the floor. So Venezuela's prisons are some of the most violent in the world. Remember, this, this, is according, was, this is according to uh, Insight Crime. It's a research group. This, uh, can you imagine, too? And some of those are probably even political criminals, people that were uh, maybe just fighting against Chavez. Is that who it was in the day? And so some of these people may not even be there in, in the prison with full you know, rights. And anyway, they were just imprisoned because they didn't – they weren't the right kind of – Politic, so yeah, sixty-eight Crazy. or sixty-eight people that are now dead that don't need to be dead. Lucky to be in America, even if you're in the prison system, it's still better than the rest of the world. It seems like, um, and as if prison wasn't bad enough. And uh, politics is always crazy. Now we're finding out, and we had a bad incident on the first hour where. Uh, a polluted rubber ducky snuck in on the show and just tried yeah. to take over the entire show. Right. Speaking of polluted rubber duckies, <laughs> do you know how bad those rubber duckies are for you? Well, and how, your kids? How bad? Like, so these we're talking the cute little rubber duckies that you have in the tub. We're not talking about the song. The song is actually good for you. 
Uh, it's uh, science proved it. Um, scientists now have the dirt on the rubber ducky. What? Those cute uh, little yellow bath time toys mm-hmm. are a haven for nasty bugs. No. Swiss no. and American researchers Bleh. counted the microbes swimming inside the toys and say the murky liquid released when duckies uh, when ducks were squeezed contained <laughs> potentially pathogenic bacteria in four out of the five toys studied. Let me get this straight. So if you squeeze a yellow duck, uh, a murky liquid will come out. Right. And that liquid is full of bacteria. Mm-hmm. And we usually squeeze it back into the tub where our beautiful little kids are sitting. Yeah, either back in the tub or mm. the kids are just drinking oh. straight from it. Don't say that. Which happens. It happens. Blah. So I'm going to butcher these names, but the bacteria found mm. included Legionella and Pseudomonas aeruginosa, mm. a bacterium that is often implicated in hospital-acquired infections. Okay. The study by the Yikes. Swiss Federal Institute of Aquatic Science and Technology uh, and the University of Illinois was published Tuesday in the mm. journal uh, Biofilms and Microbiomes. It's billed as one of the first in-depth scientific examinations of its kind. It's, it's probably time to throw those little, those little critters out. Up to 75 million cells per square centimeter. That's 0.15 square inches. And a variety of bacteria Ugh. and fungus. Okay. Yeah, I think we. Get and the irony point. is that it's like it's a bath toy. You yeah. think you're clean? Okay, mm. so if you have if you have a little rubber ducky, it's time. It's time to just throw them out. They're, they're very inexpensive. They're inexpensive. You can maybe they're like one or two time use. Just use them twice and then toss them. They're disposables. It's I wouldn't like, even use them twice. Or don't ever put them in the water. Well, yeah, but that's the only fun part about the rubber ducky. Well, they don't they don't come with the bacteria, right? It's only like between. There might be some stores shipping them with bacteria, but Uh, I think most of them are sans bacteria. Good advice. So just put a real duck in your bathtub. Gives new meaning. By the way, if you do put a real, if you do put a real duck in your bathtub, don't squeeze it. Yeah, they don't like that so much. You will see murky fluids again. Um, Your own murky fluids. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) anyway, uh, we appreciate the insight uh, from Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Always trying to keep our bathtubs clean. Uh, We'll continue the journey straight ahead. We're going to be talking about exceptional parenting, but not perfect parenting. Maybe it's time to give up the idea of being the perfect parent. Let's just go with really exceptional. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the best parent you can be. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we love our kids to death. We want to be the best parents we can be. We keep hearing more and more stories and research and media about, you know, what what the perfect parents are all doing. And then we get this complex that we're not going to be perfect at it. And so uh, why not find out if we can't be perfect, let's just be exceptional. Let's be as good as we can possibly be. And uh, why not uh, study that? In his book, Simple Habits of Exceptional But Not Perfect Parents, uh, author Ken Dolan Del Vecchio um, talks about how we can be the best that we can be. And uh, he's here today to, to help us um, uh, kind of sort through some of this, this stuff. Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, are you there, my friend? 
be with you, Matt. Good to be with you. Thanks for being here. I mean, it really is this idea. We, we're we're really we want to be the best parents we can be. Do, do you think we worry too much about the perfection side of it? I think the people who worry about being perfect are probably the most conscientious parents there are. And so they should give themselves a break. It's the people who don't worry about yeah. it who I'm more concerned about. That's right. The one where it's not even on the radar, that, that might be the one that we need, to, we need to try to reach out to. Right. Talk about um, your book, Simple Habits of Exceptional, Not Perfect Parents. Um, I mean, exceptional, that's, that really, we, we, can, we can be the exception. We can be the difference um, and, and be the best we can be. And that's probably good enough. Absolutely. All of our parents do the best they can, and we come out deeply flawed and deeply functional. And it's just important to recognize that's the human condition. And if we try to do the best we can, then that's, that's all that one can ask. And, and I wrote this book because a couple of my clients told me to. Huh. And in particular, I was working with a family who had an 18-year-old son who was in his first year of college, and he was having lots of struggles. He was having trouble fitting in, and he was having trouble doing his coursework. And he came home for Thanksgiving break, and he told his parents that he was, he was having this difficulty and that he thought he was going to take the next semester off, maybe do some work, and see if he could pull himself together some and decide what he really wanted to do. And they got in touch with me because they took this as signs of catastrophic mental illness. Hmm. And through our conversations, I was very direct with them. And I told them basically that their child's life at that age, more so than even when he was younger, belongs to him. And it was very important for them to listen and to be supportive, to give ideas when they were asked to, but not to try to seize control. And it's in that very direct and simple kind of guidance. They found that very useful. And, and they, among others, said, you need to write this down. And as I'm a person who, who writes a lot, that, that now became something that I had to get out of my head and onto the page. And there well, came the book. That's, that's, it's really powerful. In fact, you can hear in that there's, that there's that power struggle that we have as parents where we we are used to having the control and the power over the child um, to influence, to guide, to direct. But really, it seems like your book addresses th- this this need to to manage the power differently. Well, if we look at power, and I believe that power is the is the platform on which all relationships are built. And if we look at the power in our relationships, we can essentially understand it in two ways. We can understand it as power over, which is the right to control, the right to dominate, the right to tell what to do. And that's actually the expression of power that we see most in our world. But the alternative, and it's the exceptional choice, is power with. And power with is when we understand power as the awesome responsibility to generate shared health, success, all good things for the people who love and respect us or who we are responsible for in whatever organization we may be a leader in. And so that's the goal for parents, to understand that your job is is not to direct, it's not to own, 
It's to, it's to facilitate carefully, thoughtfully, the development of this human being into the adult that they need to become. That adds, an, uh, it seems like, with that paradigm, a completely different responsibility and, and approach that we should be – I mean, it adds a seriousness to it where – I mean, this isn't an, this isn't a game that ends. This isn't something that you just have a baby and they're gone when you're 18. Your job is to, like you said, facilitate, to empower, and to to guide this child into their life through the rest of their lives. Yeah. Our our job, the way I see it, is twofold. It's to provide love in a way that is helping the child develop their full potential, their life skills, and it's to realize that we will forever be a guiding role model. And we want to be a role model for how to craft an adventurous, healthy, fulfilling life. Some of us, some of us become negative role models, Mm -hmm. and we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. But I'll give you an example of, of power with, if I may. Yeah. So we, we know that kids don't know anything. Our kids don't know anything when they're little. That's why they need to stay with us. For so many years. And when, for example, I've seen kids getting a haircut, little children, and they're screaming at the <laughs> top of their lungs. And it, it's just insufferable. And, and I always think, you know, this is a place where we, we need to be thoughtful and caring right from the beginning. We need to understand that this can be scary. And we need to take our child when we get our haircut and sit him on our lap and say, hey, look at what's happening. Mommy or daddy is getting their hair cut. It's really fun. Look in the mirror and see how it's done. And Aren't I beautiful? Mm. And all that kind of stuff. And so they get the feeling that this is positive. This is okay. Same kind of thing in the dentist office. I don't know about you, but oh. I used to take my son yeah. to the dentist, and then the next room there'd be a kid screaming and yelling. And at some point, the parent might become a disciplinarian, or they might have ceded all power and just let <laughs> the let the tantrum go and run its course. And the, the exceptional course is to anticipate, it's to understand that kids don't misbehave, they behave. And we need to shape their behavior from the from the very beginning and we need to be mindful of who they are, where they are developmentally, what their what their fears and their and their desires are. And, and, and be proactive, like really think ahead with those kinds of circumstances. Yeah. No, that's great. That's such great advice. I mean, I have six kids, Ken. So when we go wow. to the dentist, it's like the Townsends have moved in. And, and really, the entire staff is paying attention to somebody in my family. Um, but I, I get that idea, too, that there's so much you can just model – Instead of just all of a sudden surprising them on it uh, with something, we could be modeling it along the way. You also bring up in your book the importance of teaching, you know, people that are children to to become kind of critical thinkers that can can actually formulate or or create or gain their own their own perspectives. Talk about that. How do you how do you generate a you know a, a critically thinking child? Well, let me first say, Matt, that this is so important in our day and age because I feel like there's so much that we need to evaluate for ourselves and, and talk through with people who we love and respect. Uh, I'll tell you a very quick story. I was driving 
I used to drive a long distance between my home in Massachusetts and my office in Newark, New Jersey. And mm-hmm. often I would listen to talk radio shows like yours. And I was listening to a show, political show, it was before the election. And the host was talking to a, a man who had called in. And the guy who called in said, I listen to one outlet, one media outlet, and I don't agree with what they have to say. And I listen to another one, and I don't agree with what they have to say either. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. And the host said, well, I guess you're going to have to weigh what you hear and come to your own place, your own perspective. Can you do that? And there was a substantial pause, and the guy said no. Mm. And I have to tell you, I feel like that is, there's a lot of that these days. I feel like people have put aside the capacity to think for ourselves. And it, it, it's a skill that gives us confidence. It makes us feel competent in the world. And it's really simple to help your kid do this. You just, right from the time that, that they are small, you ask their opinion on things. You talk about your values and the ways that you think about things. And you, you talk with them about the shows that you see on TV. So as your child is growing up, they might, for example, notice the commercials that are everywhere. And they might notice the commercials for medication. And you can ask them, what do you think about that? Mm -hmm. That they're advertising medication. Mom and dad tend to think that you should get medication that a doctor prescribes. What do you think? And just asking those questions. And when you look at a, a show like The Voice, let's say, you can ask questions like, what are the values that are being taught here? And you can talk about competition, you can talk about skill that is evaluated without looking at the person's appearance, you can talk about the relative value or the way that, that collaboration balances raw competition. And when you do that, you're helping your kid understand that their thoughts are valuable. Their ideas are valuable. They don't have to, they don't have to just listen to this news station or that one. I don't even think they're news stations anymore. I think they're more a little bit of inf- information and a lot of just bickering and loud arguing. Yeah. And I, I think that, that we need to empower our kids to, to value what they think. Mm. And, and I, think that that's, I think that that's simple but often overlooked because we don't do it our, enough ourselves. Many adults don't. Another thing we can do is read. We can read on the things that are current that are challenging. So, for example, the opioid crisis yeah. is, is on everybody's minds these days. And there's all these little articles about it, but there are also great books about it. So, so there's a book by a guy named Johan Harry. It's called Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs. And it is, it's a compelling read. It talks about the history of, of where we've been as a society in terms of temperance, in terms of prohibition, the thinking that's changed over time across history. And when, you, when you're informed with that kind of depth, it can really help it can help shape the way you understand the world. And again, if we read and we look at things in, in depth, our kids are watching. Mm. And then creating those questions. I, like I love how many questions you were asking. A lot of times with our kids, 
We're not asking them their opinion. We're not asking them the questions. We are just talking. We're, we, we think yeah. parenting is talking, teaching them, yeah. laying it out yeah. when sometimes it, a better parenting moment is, you know, looking at something, watching, like you were saying, a commercial and then ask a question. Absolutely. And, and, and to tell our kids, one of the chapters I have in the book is better than lecturing. And I have found that it's a very good tool to tell, instead of to tell your kids what they're doing wrong and what they ought to do, to tell them your own experiences. So I have one son, he's now 25, he's the light of my life, and when he was little, his mom and I noted that he was really, he was really tense about grades. He was really worried about making A's, and, and he's... He's a very smart guy, and he was doing fine. And we started telling him, we said, when we were in school, both of us were, were the same way. We were really anxious about doing our best. And, and over time, we got some C's, we got some D's. I told him that I got some F's, uh-huh. and, and, and I survived. And I went to college, and I did well, and I'm, I've got a great life. And, and that, that really helped him to relax. And in some ways, we felt like it helped him to relax a bit too much. (laughs) Darn it. Shouldn't have told him so many stories. And then later on, I told him stories like, hey, when I was in college freshman year, I was with a bunch of the guys in the dorm, and I drank too much, and I smoked too much, and I was sitting on my my friend's bed, and we were talking with a group of people, and I just vomited all over the place. And, And then... And then I, this is when he was like 16, 17, because we knew that he was experimenting. Yeah. And, and then a short time later, he had gone to, he was visiting colleges, mostly with us, but he went to visit a college with a friend of his who we knew well, and that guy was a, a freshman already, and Eric was exploring schools. And he came back, and uh, we asked him how it was, and he came back and said, you know, I just drank too much, I didn't get sick, but... It was really bad, and I'm going to watch out and be more careful next time. You know, he knew that we're not perfect. He knew that I had done things like that. It gave him permission to talk about the the challenges and the foibles that he had faced. He, yeah. Kids need to know that we're human and that we can listen to the the problems they have, the troubles they get into, that sort of thing. and relate to them and and again and then you talk about values and and teach them your other values and your principles you also we only have about a minute left but talk about how you how you also teach spirituality in parenting well i think spirituality is the core of health i think it's the core of who we are and i believe that we need to expose our kids to nature we need to teach them about where we are in, in communion with the natural world. I think that gardening and walking through, through the woods is great. I also think we need to teach them values. And, and I'll tell you a very quick story, if I may. Yeah. When I was moving from my, the last home before I moved here, there, was this, there, was these, there were these two trees that, were, that had lost a couple of huge branches. And I met with the arborist, and he said, look, you can tie them together with a chain, or the, the safest thing to do would be to cut them down. And I said, look, calm down. And there was great, there was significant expense at that. And 
the na- my neighbor, his name is Joe, a little while later, later came over, and Eric was with me and said, you know, that was really generous of you. That was a, a, quite a gift, and we won't forget it. And just my kid knowing that, that generosity, that kindness is essential in this life and that we're all connected is, is, is something that I think is really important for us to convey through example and also through what we say. Oh, so true. So true. Ken, we appreciate it. Uh, interesting, interesting insights. I think for all of us as parents, uh, getting the values in, uh, understanding that spirituality is a, a core of health, a uh, core principle of health as well. Ken Dolan Del Vecchio is the author of the book, Simple Habits of Exceptional But Not Perfect Parents, and and allowing our stories of imperfection um, to be taught and to be shared with our kids so that they they can see that, you know, mom and dad weren't these perfect specimens either. They didn't do everything right. They make mistakes, and yet uh, we all get through it. So we will continue uh, to, to learn these parenting lessons as we go. That is one of the goals of the show, is to help us all pick up our parenting game a bit. We'll take a break, come back, do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends. So we don't need to be perfect parents. We can be exceptional parents. Um, one of the things we might want to be focusing on when it comes to our little kidlets is uh, how do you want them to be as adults? What what would be your goal? Is 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 it something as simple as just functional? Is, is that all you're looking for from your kids is just a functional child, maybe one that can, you know, not get in trouble, one that, I don't know, can, can be healthy? What is it you want? Because if we don't know what we kind of see in their future and want for their future, then how do we decide how to raise our kids every day? I wonder if sometimes we are not giving them enough um enough leeway. We're not giving them enough power to just be their own parent. There was a, an interesting um, legisla- some interesting legislation passed in Utah this, uh, this last legislative session where now parents are allowed to let their children, uh, you know, free range kids, where they're allowed to now, they can walk places. They won't get in trouble as parents for letting their kids do things like walk to a park or or kind of do things that, you know, in other states you might be seen as neglectful, which, you know, some of that is just saying, hey, we got to let our kids grow up. And some of it is just pushing back at the status quo of a lot of uh, micromanaging of parents. But this idea that we could let our kids go a little bit more, maybe let them walk to the uh, the store by themselves, maybe babysit themselves or sit with them uh, themselves or their or their little brother or sister babysit a little earlier than we we dare to today. It might actually raise some healthier kids. I, I put together some ideas for how to make sure you're raising strong kids, not scaredy cats. Here's one of them. One of the points is simply quit talking about how dangerous the world is. We do live in a day and an age where your kids are healthier than they've ever been. They're uh, they're generally overall uh, more likely to succeed than ever. They're more likely to probably be able to uh, not have 
infections and diseases and disorders. They're more likely to get medical care than ever before. They're more likely to be protected and safe and not abducted or even abused than any other time in the history of mankind. And yet all we talk about are terrorism reports and beheadings and all of these other problems. So if we're going to be honest with our kids, we probably also ought to be talking with them about how safe the world really is overall, instead of making everything so dangerous. Another thing you could do is empower your kids to do all the things that they can do, right? If they can carry their plate to the sink, let them carry it to the sink. If they can wash their plate, let them wash their plate. If they can start the the uh, the washer or the dryer, if they can fold clothes, let's let them do it. Even at a young age, let's let our kids do what they can. How about letting your children order their own food when you go to a restaurant? How about letting your children go ask the the um, the uh, the server to for more ketchup or whatever? Let your children do what they can so that we can allow them to, to kind of overcome some of these fears. What about rewarding risk? What about valuing and appreciating failure? And like we were learning earlier from uh, Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, what if you could actually share more of your failures in life? I'm not a big believer that you ought to share your ugliest secrets. Uh, Ken was talking about how he was sharing with his kids about drinking Um, and being sick because of drinking. I mean, I guess it depends on your value system, but I personally don't think there's some things that your kids need to know, but they should know about your failures. They should know about, uh, I tell a story about when I was, what was I, a third grader and made fun of a girl on the way to school because she had a funny name and uh, how bad I actually felt because of it. And I went to the principal's office because of it and I remember fe- feeling so, so bad. But teaching my kids about that, I've taught them about my grades weren't great either, but allowing failure to be a part of our lives and actually rewarding our children for be- their willingness to risk to do things, you know, risk to try something really hard. And it might be worth um, a-, a little reward, however you reward your children. Another example, simply to practice more problem solving and conflict resolution. Help them uh, practice these skills. Help them figure out the best way to resolve their own issues instead of coming in and immediately disciplining them. What if we sat down and mediated their conversation if they were a little bit older and can handle it? Let's talk this stuff through. Let's also ask them a lot lot of questions. These kids need to – and don't let them give you the answer, I don't know. I get that in my office all of the time. So what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. What do you want to what do you want to do, you know, when you have your free time? I don't know. Well, of course you know. You're the only one that knows. No, I really don't know. Okay, then what if we just have you do dishes every day that you get home after school? Well, I don't want to do that. Okay, see? So you do know. You know what you don't want to do. And if you know what you don't want to do, then you you probably have some idea of what you do want to do. So Let's just expect more from our kids, but not necessarily more performance and more grades, but just more uh ingenuity, more um, creativity. Let's expect more conversation, more interaction. And amazingly, when you do it, uh, they'll tend to deliver, which is so powerful. And then all of a sudden, you got these strong kids. Powerful stuff, folks. We're so blessed to have them, aren't we? These wonderful kids. And yet, uh, it's not easy. Yet, it's the greatest value any of us will ever have. 
We will uh, continue the journey, folks. Again, doing what we can. Just a little advice. You don't have to take it. You can uh, just keep doing it another way. Whatever's working and getting the results you need, that's what we're hoping to give you. More tools, more ideas. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Dr. Brian Willoughby is an associate professor in the School of Family Life right here at Brigham Young University, and he's one of our contributors we have on regularly. And we like to revisit some of his interviews to just keep giving you more and more ideas for how to handle life and deal with things. Last time he was on, or a while ago, we talked about marriage arguments and the effects that they have on children. And uh, we're going to continue that discussion now, and we're going to ask, uh, in, in this this section, we're going to be talking about beneficial ways in which we can actually disagree. Yeah, which isn't the case at all. As I always tell my students, there's there's a difference between conflict and conflict resolution. And every couple has conflict. It's about how you resolve the conflict that matters. That's huge. Um, I I actually think one of the biggest things here, it seems like a really small thing, but I think it's huge. It's humor. Yeah. It's it's not letting, because one of the things that happens when we have conflict and disagreements as as a spouse is we get a lot of emotion, a lot of negative emotion, and we let it build. Uh And and that's when all the, the negative stuff tends to happen. And so if we can bring humor in, now when I say humor, I don't mean like cynical, sarcastic comments towards your spouse, (laughs) but just laughing about things Mm -hmm. and and, and keeping things light, that's a huge thing, especially if kids are around and they're hearing us have a disagreement. If we kind of joke with each other, um, that's huge. We do that. Like, so do you hate me? I'll go say, I'll go ask my wife, so do you hate me now? And she's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's a joke and- it breaks the ice. Right. And then you can kind of address, no, I'm just mad because you. Yeah. And it sends a really powerful message to kids that we just disagreed and we had a little conflict, yeah. a little argument, but it's not a big deal at all. No one's going to die here. Yeah. Because kids might in- inherently go to divorce. If their right. friends' parents are divorcing, they might be thinking, oh, man, yeah. my parents are going to divorce. And the other powerful message it sends is that we disagreed, but I still like you. Because yeah. if we have humor, there's this uh, assumption that we still are playful and like that's each true. other. That's a pretty powerful message. No, that's huge. Yeah. And that could be humor. That could be even affection still turning to- towards each other, the turns mm-hmm. and the bids towards each other. Right, yeah. Um, I think another really powerful thing in terms of modeling things for kids is as parents, a lot of times we're pretty good at coming up with systems for parenting, you know, yeah. your chore charts. Right. And we sit down as a family, we have a family meeting and say, okay, here's, we, we want to work on bedtime or we want to work on cleaning your room. And, and we try to model, okay, here's ki- here kids, here's how you do that. Yeah. We don't do that as much for marriage. Even though a lot of us in our marriage sometimes right. will have little things, we'll sit down and say, we need to work on our relationship. Let's try this. Yeah. But our kids never know that it's happening. And it's okay to let them in on some of those things. Right. Like, you don't have to let them in on, you know, hey, mom and I are having some disagreements about sexual frequency. Right. Well, I just want to let you guys know. <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up with yeah. your mother. Um, yeah. But, you know, let them, I was actually thinking about this this morning. My wife and I, one of the things that, that we came up with a while ago is, you know what, let's let's try to come up with one nice, unexpected thing that we do for each other every day. Cool. Um, and we started doing that. And I was just thinking about, because we've, I was mentioning to you before, we've been on vacation. Yeah. It's like, I should start doing that again today. Um, but that's a great thing to do my kids know. Right. That 
my wife and I are doing that. That's, I should let them know that. And yeah. it's not necessarily about disagreement, but it helps them know that we're working on our relationship constantly. Or even, even just going on a walk, just mom, mom and I are going to go, we've got to go talk something out on a walk. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Stephen Covey used to get on a little um, scooter, trail bike kind of thing. And he and his wife, his wife would get on back and they would go talk. Mm-hmm. So anytime they needed a talk, yeah. They're, they're like, we're going on the trail bike, and everyone in the family kind of knew. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And again, that's great with Work topics that maybe you don't feel yeah. comfortable talking about in front of your kids. Again, just letting them yeah. know that, that you know, hey, we're going to go discuss this, or we had a discussion, and cool. or we need to go on a walk. You know, whatever right. it is for you, it doesn't matter how you do it, but letting the kids know that there is a disagreement. Stuff's happening. We're you talking. talked about it, and everything's fine now. So cool. And when you can, just do it in front of them. Yeah, exactly. And another thing I'll add to doing it in front of them, another huge thing here is validation. Mm. Validating your partner, which basically means telling them that you value their opinion that you care about what they think and how they're thinking and how they feel. Letting your kids see that, that even though you disagree about whatever it is, that you still value what That's they're huge. saying. That's a huge thing. Just because you can so inval- quickly invalidate by being negative or talking over them and right. that after years of that, they may yeah. feel like there is no value. Right. And that in particular teaches kids another really important thing that even transcends relationships, I think. It lets them show that you can still care about someone that you disagree with. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, I think, so many people in this world that feel like there's only two options. We either disagree and hate yeah. each other. Yeah. Or we completely agree and we love each other. That's right. And it's, it's the world's not like that. Uh-uh. The, one of the top marriage interaction scholars out there, John Gottman, has come up with this idea of unresolvable conflict. He said every couple has at least a few topics that they will never agree on. That's right, ever. Different values, different beliefs, whatever it is, they'll never agree on. And and that's okay, he says. As long as we are willing to still validate and support and love each other, and I think it's powerful for kids to see that. So you know what? I completely disagree with you. Yeah. And I don't think I'm ever going to agree with you, but I value your your opinion and I yeah. value you as a person and we can disagree and that's okay. I've seen people that, that have that, the, the thing they're just going to disagree on, but they have to kind of operationalize it and mm-hmm. decide. And they just say, okay, grab a quarter and they'll just flip a coin. Today we're doing it. <laughs> right. Tomorrow yeah. we're not. We're going to let – because we can't solve it any other way. But part of it is, I guess, teaching your kids this, huh? mm-hmm. having these conversations and the tension in front of them and then showing them resolution and then showing them that you're back together. Right. That you've yeah. survived and nobody died. Yeah. That the, that tension doesn't carry over. It's huge. That it's not an unresolved, long-term negative thing in yeah. this relationship or in this family that we just move on. What would you say as we wrap it up, Bri? What's the What would be the number one thing when it comes to conflict um, that, that we as parents might want to remember or that the kids need to learn from uh, us? Right. I, I'm going to go back to the, the – and the, again, this seems so counterintuitive. The yeah. number one thing is kids need to learn that conflict's okay. It's good that we don't hide it. That's that's probably the biggest problem I see couples do is they try to hide their conflict. Yeah. They hide their disagreements. And then, like I said, kids either grow up on one side, seeing their parents have oh, tension. Yeah. yeah. And that has that negative role model that we talked about. Or they grow up with this idea that marriages don't have conflict. At least the good marriages yeah. don't have conflict. And that's uh. problematic. 
That's Dr. Brian Willoughby right here uh, from Brigham Young University. He's an associate professor in the School of Family Life, and you can get more information on his website, drbrianwilloughby.com. Now, as it's coming up upon us uh, Easter weekend, a lot of candy is going to be purchased, a lot of chocolate, a lot of chocolate bunnies. Yes, yes. And whatever you do, don't try to steal the chocolate bunnies. There are many people that would love to have a chocolate bunny, but you need to pay for it. Pay and if for you your get, bunny. If you get caught trying to steal a chocolate bunny like this woman in uh, Myrtle Beach, Florida, don't crumple it up, throw it back in the store, and then say, are we good oh. when you're confronted? Bunnies do not deserve to be crumpled. People. People. Bunnies are people too. That's what I've been saying for years. Chocolate bunnies, they're not actually people, but they're edible for people. So as we wrap up this uh, second hour of the Matt Townsend Show, remember, bunnies are gifts from heaven, covered in chocolate, and then consumed by the loving children. They don't need to be harmed by... You don't start biting their ears off and then their little bunny legs. Actually, I think you start with the ears. But you don't crumple them up and throw them on the floor. No, yeah. Respect your chocolate. You you lovingly chomp them before you swallow them. Ear by ear, Mm -hmm. then take off their tail, then their legs, and then work your way to their head. That doesn't sound right. Treat your chocolate with respect. A, a, A little message brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show. Lovers of chocolate bunnies everywhere. We'll continue the journey. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeffrey Liam Simpson and Becca Hurley's here. Ow! Becca's in the house. Becca's our, our board operator today. Jeffrey's filling in, in a way, for Terry. And Terry is on the first vacation, I think, of his entire life. He is so uncomfortable right now. Yeah. He's he's just, he's probably, it's like his skin he's is breaking itchy. breaking out in hives. Yeah. He's with his uh, lovely family and his uh, parents and cousins and his brother. I mean, his whole family. They're on their way to San Diego. I didn't know it was the whole family. Oh, yeah. It started with just his little family, but then it's such a great opportunity to go visit, visit extended family that everyone's like, wait, we want to come. So why wouldn't you take everybody on the trip? I would be very interested in seeing the South family at a gathering. Oh, it's very uh, – it's, it's a very – Intense. Intense. No, I don't know. Quiet, maybe? I was going to say, I don't know if they would talk much. Lots of noodle play. They, they noodle have, play. They have pool noodles. Oh, that's right. Always beating they, each other yeah, with... Yeah. It's just something that they do. and um, But it brings the family closer together. So They're little love, love noodle taps. Yeah, just little... They call them wax. Love wax. <laughs> and uh, so Terry plays that with his boy. And I'm sure Terry's dad taught Terry how to do that. As a young man. Didn't know the pool noodle was around that long. Oh, yeah. The pool noodle. I, used to be like a wet noodle, but now it's a pool noodle. That's a pool noodle. And it's uh, it's been around since the beginning of time. Well, Adam heard, and Eve had pool noodles in the garden. Okay. You've heard that expression, though, 40 lashes in a wet noodle? No. Oh. What? Well, now you have. That expression has probably been around since Adam and Eve. Yeah. See, that's the first time that Wait, was but what ever. But what does it mean? 
Uh, well, the lashes are lashes. Eyelashes. And then I'm not sure how the wet noodle comes into play, but that probably wouldn't hurt. Yeah. It would well, be sticky. It would be a sticky mess, but, you know. Who doesn't love a little wet noodle? Um, here's the deal. <laughs> as we as we, um, as we we get into today, there's some great news coming out of Washington. A lot of times you don't see politicians, you know, apologize or back off of something they've said. Sure. But apparently – Joe Biden is backing away from something he said or did. Well, and let's be clear. It's not like he was issuing an apology to President Trump over things that, you know, they were they were going back and forth. Oh, I could beat you up at a, on a schoolyard. You know, if we were to get in a fight, who would win type of thing? Yeah. Just really juvenile stuff. Um, and, you know, as if President Trump isn't arguing with a corporation like Amazon over Twitter, he's doing it with other politicians. And um, President or Vice President, former Vice President Joe Biden, he regrets saying that he'd beat the heck that's edited for air out of President Donald Trump if they were in high school for how he treats women. Uh, In a pod save America interview released Wednesday, the Democrat said, I shouldn't have said what I said. So, again, just to be clear, he's not apologizing to President Trump or saying that saying that he didn't uh, mean those. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he just said. I shouldn't have said those things. Yeah. See, that's very that's very adult. Yeah. And what will be great is to see how the president responds to that. Well, originally he tweeted, crazy Joe Biden is trying to act like a tough guy. That wasn't in response to this uh, apology. He he also said that uh, he said that Joe's not healthy physically or mentally. Hmm. He threw that out a long time ago. So um, I'm glad that they're mending those fences. Well, I don't think fences are being mended. I think I think Joe Biden is just trying to be the adult in the situation and just saying, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, that's that was against my value system or whatever. So But again, good. he's not apologizing no. and not saying this isn't how I feel, but yeah. Yeah. We 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 do have some um I mean that's that's feel good news. We have some sad news that we need to report. We do. Um <sighs> And this, I can tell, this is going to get you down. Uh-oh. Sharknado, um, the, uh, it's ending its franchise. No. Sharknado 6 is has announced that this will conclude the franchise series. The sixth film will be the end. Uh, Ian Ziering, Tara Reid, and Vivica Fox will not be back. No. Uh, there will no longer be sharks flying through our air system. I, guess. I don't know. I don't know how. I've never watched the show or the movie. I've never seen it. I don't. I'm not into Shark. Do you, do you have the NATO. subtitle of Sharknado 6? Um, I don't. I, don't I was thinking, it. okay, they're saying that they're not coming back with another Sharknado movie. But if I've learned anything uh, when it comes to these sci-fi originals and these – uh, natural disaster and monster disaster movies is you never say never. <laughs> so I was thinking, by the I, way, you never say never. Like, hey, there will never be a movie about flying sharks. Never yeah, say right, never. Right, Sharknado. I think one through six. Real quick, in anticipation of a seventh Sharknado film, I think you and I should offer up ideas oh, okay. for a subtitle for Sharknado Seven. So I'll start. Okay. Sharknado 7, Shark Happens. Okay. Um, Sharknado 7, 
boy, did we sure push this too far. Hmm. Sharknado 7, you're going to need a bigger shark. Okay. Shark. Oh, thank you. Oh, okay. Sharknado 7, uh, if, in case you missed how stupid this is in 1 through 6. Oh, I thought that one was pretty good. I did too. Uh, Sharknado 7, um, the one with Tony Shark. I thought I could do like a Marvel tie-in there. Yeah. um, Sharknado 7, it ain't going to be a lucky number. (laughs) Thank you. Very good. How about Shark to the Future? Ooh, Shark to the Future. Yeah, no, Becca. No, I'm telling you, if you could could somehow combine Back to the Future with Sharknado – a time-traveling Sharknado? Well, there is. There is? Did you not know this? No. Yeah. For anyone interested, the new movie's plot will be reportedly involving Zeering's character going back in time Whoa. to try and undo the damage the sharks have done to the world. Are you serious? Yeah. My goodness. See, so it's almost like your brain perfectly works with Sharknado. Hmm. It's like you're in the same groove. Um, do we have yes. time for one more good piece of news? Yeah. Aside from the fact that it's opening day for Major League Baseball, which yes. is exciting enough, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to be talking to Spencer and Jerem about that. Absolutely. Um, but imagine being in jail for 23 years for a crime that you didn't commit. Ugh, and the boy. reason this has to do with baseball is this man uh, worked for the Chicago White Sox before he went to jail. So after spending 23 years in prison for a crime he did not commit, Nevis Coleman returned to his job as a groundskeeper for the Chicago White Sox on Monday. He was sentenced to life in prison for a 1994 rape and murder he didn't commit. Oh, boy. The charges were dropped, and he was released from prison in November 2017. Can you imagine? How many years? Listen, listen to how he responds. Yeah. The past is the past, Coleman said to reporters. His coworker Jerry Powell is now his boss. He was a good, excellent worker. We're glad to have him back. Can you I mean, I don't know that I could say the past is the past. No. That would be very difficult to let go of 23 years yeah. for something you didn't do. No, that that's incredible. And that shows a lot of his about his character, right? I mean, that yeah. That's unheard of. And then there's great news for this man though. What's that? Right? They he was then hired. Oh, yes. <laughs> He was hired <laughs> hired back by the back to his old job. Unfortunately, he wasn't hired uh, to work for a better team. Oh, see. I'm sorry I had to go there. But... So the Chicago White Sox <laughs> hired the guy after they heard about his story because he had been working for the White Sox before his arrest. So they brought him back and uh, he's now on the grounds crew. Here's a statement given by the Chicago White Sox. We're grateful that after more than two decades, justice has been carried out for Nevist. And uh, it has been a long time, but we're thrilled that we have the opportunity to welcome him back to the White Sox family. We're looking forward to having Nevis back on opening day at home in our ballpark. That's cool. Good like for him. It. That's good. They did oh. it. That's that's that feel-good story right they there. They need to give him like a lifetime supply of Cracker Jack or something. Well, but you know what's – well, that's the prison system or the or our, our justice system will have to probably make some amends here. How I mean, is this 
when when the, and these stories happen more often oh, yeah. than you would think. Oh yeah. And is especially going, to certain groups of people. Will there be some form of compensation, do you think? Oh, I bet. Yeah. It better not just be paying him through Cracker Jack. Yeah. If it, <laughs> there's not a prize big enough in the bottom of that <laughs> box. That's, uh, but it does show his character, right? And so yeah. The past is the past, past is what is he the said. Past. That's so powerful. Boy, if we could all just be that forgiving, uh, we'd, we'd have such a, such a better world. Well, we're going to continue the journey. Up next, we're going to be talking with Dr. Paul Jenkins about uh, body language and how it can help you. Just understanding a few tricks of the body goes a long way. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Uh, His name is Dr. Paul Jenkins. He's the shrink who expands your life. And uh, he's on the show regularly. He's one of our great contributors. And uh, PJ. Did we call you PJ? That has happened before. Back in the old day. Back in the day. But uh, Dr. Paul has a lot of different skills. One of them is breaking down the complex and making it a little bit easier for all of us. You can find out more on his uh, podcast, Live on Purpose Radio. You can go to YouTube and look up Live on Purpose TV, Mm -hmm. where you can basically every day get another little uh, Paul Jenkins nugget. (laughs) Right and uh, yes, this this last uh, month you've been um, or recently you've been dropping some on some topics like on body language. Yes, in we've fact, all got we bodies, and week. our bodies are constant. Our minds and our bodies are constantly communicating, so we got to pay attention. Right. Well, you know, Matt, that communication is a very complex yeah. topic. Yeah, and verbal communication—the words that we speak—are only a portion of no. it. Right. And I've heard different percentages. Most of them are made up. Yeah. Make them up as you go. But it's really obvious when you pay attention to it that that our words make up a portion of our communications. And then our our body language, our posture, our tone of voice, um, our facial expressions, all of those things certainly impact the communication. Absolutely. Well, I mean, even just breathing – Mm-hmm. Or not breathing. I noticed yes. with some clients recently that they're so nervous to come talk about their issues um, with each other, but you could see that one of them wasn't breathing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, let's just stop for a minute. Let's just notice let's just that. Breathe. Let's just breathe. Yeah. Just breathe. Which changes it. Yeah. And the position. So uh, you and I both both work with families and yeah. with couples. Um, I have – an exercise, a communication exercise that I do with couples. And the first step is to assume an open body posture. Yes. Yes. Because normally... They close up. So if you can picture... This is radio, so obviously the visuals are missing. But if you were to fold your arms in front of you, for example, and just try that. If you're not driving or something... They shouldn't do it if they're driving. Right. Let's, Let's be safe, folks. I mean, if you're flying a helicopter or anything, go ahead. Yeah. Do so and a lot of people who listen to BYU Radio are flying no, helicopters currently. No, did you not? That's one of our demos. Uh, yeah, yeah primary really demographic in the aeronautics. So area. close, just close that up. Just fold your arms in front mm-hmm. of you, pull it in tight. And this is something in in body language they call this a gate. Oh yeah, 
uh, so you picture that that gate, shut the gate blocking off the property and the gate is closed. Yeah. Right? It's a yeah. protective move. And we feel vulnerable in a communication exercise, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, in these couples that come to my office, they're already feeling a little vulnerable. Yeah. So they, they fold their arms. Now cross your legs. Yeah. You know, turn. Some people turn sideways. Turn to the side. Yeah. Now that's a closed body posture. Yeah. It's like the gate is closed. And what is that communicating to your spouse? No, no openness. Not you're not coming in here. You're not getting right. into my psyche. We're we're closed for business. Yeah. As opposed to an open body posture, and sometimes we'll even exaggerate it. No, nobody so, nobody does this, Matt. Yeah. But, Sit for a moment. So uncross your legs. Yeah. Okay. I tell them don't cross anything. Don't cross your legs or your ankles or your fingers or your eyes. Oh wow. Don't <laughs> don't cross anything. Just have it open all open it up and be right. wide open. And then I even have them. So turn your hands, palms up. Oh, see, that's vulnerable. All the arteries, all the veins. You've got access to all Your my vulnerable vital points. underbelly is exposed. Totally. It's right? like you just turned it's like you just turned the turtle over <laughs> and I'm <laughs> on my back. Exactly. But see, and, what so what does that do though? So if I open myself up like that, mm-hmm. what does it do to me psychologically? Well, you'll notice things just as you try this. Mm-hmm. It feels awkward. Normally. Yeah. Okay, that's normal. Don't worry about it feeling awkward. Just notice that because you're not used to it. But there's some neat symbolism in that too. When when you turn your palms up, your hand is in a position to receive. Yeah, give, right? yeah, to take. Now, just for contrast, close your hands now, clench them into a fist. Now, that feels different, doesn't it? Yeah, well, and it actually takes energy. Absolutely. And then as you open them, ah, relaxing. So it opens you up, and, and there is a feeling of vulnerability there. But you know what? You and I have talked about vulnerability before. A lot, yeah. It's like well, it's, a big deal. It's a huge deal today. Yeah. For some reason, we have – it seems like more and more people that are less able to be vulnerable mm. with their significant other. And yet that's one of the things that will bring intimacy yeah. into a relationship faster than anything else. But that it's that risk, isn't it? Yeah. Where does that yeah. come from? The risk? Well, no, the, the, we hurt the each lack other. of vulnerability. <laughs> but is, it may not even be I've, – I've found it may not even be what you've done to me right. that makes me not be vulnerable with you. It may be what someone else has done or something sure. I've learned. You know, Bishop Desmond Tutu mm-hmm. from South Africa um, said it this way. He said, we are all broken. Yeah. And from that brokenness, we hurt each other. And it's true. That's so true. I hate this about myself, you know, that I'll, I'll hurt people that I love. I, d- I never mean to. No. Well, it's well, not no. my intention. But just because, you know, I'm a vulnerable, fallible, flawed human being, I tend to hurt people. And, and so when we get hurt, our natural response to that is a defensive response. Yeah. We want to protect ourselves. It's so true. So that shows up in our body language. And you'll notice this, like at a a party or a gathering of some kind of social gathering, as two people come together, it's very common if, depending on their relationship, but let's just say it's a new person that you haven't met before. Yeah. 
it's very natural for people to fold put up arms. the gate, yeah. to fold their arms, to close their arms in front of themselves. Try this. If you're standing, try having an open hand and just comfortably relaxing it down to your side. Oh, really? So opening your hand up and then just letting your hand fall. Just put it, put it in a natural, relaxed position down yeah. to the side of your body. How does that feel? Instead of, uh, instead of, I'm trying to think what I would normally do if I'm standing. Normally, you're going to bring your hands together. Uh, which naturally would cross. Right? Or put them in your pockets. Yeah. Or put them behind you. Yeah. This is normal for people to do, but it's also communicating something. Mm. And it's not bad. I want to emphasize that too. It's not a bad thing to do this. I think what we're looking for here is an increased awareness. What message is this sending? Or why am I doing this? Yeah. So that you can see, well, maybe I'm, I'm feeling a little vulnerable and I'm trying to protect myself. Well, what if I were to open up a little? Hmm. What would that accomplish for me? Totally, yeah. You know, one of the risks that we run into anytime we talk about body language is people wanting to go out there and read everyone else's body language, <laughs> yeah, totally. right? What right. does this mean, Doc? Yeah. Um, be careful with that. Right. It's easy to get into a judgment and assume that someone means something. You'll see very quickly that it communicates something, right. whether that's intentional or not. Right. For example, when I, I interviewed Ann Washburn on my YouTube channel. Mm. And, and uh, we put up a couple of episodes last week about this body language. Well, Anne is an expert. She has been practicing this for whatever the 10,000 hours yeah, are, right? Yeah. And, uh, and she mentioned this uh, example about compliments. If someone gives you a compliment, you know, how often is it that you kind of Brush it away. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Even if you say thank you, but your your hand movement is yeah. pushing it away. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Right. That communicates something different from turning your palm up and bringing it to your heart. Okay. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And actually letting it into your heart. It's it's like you reach out with your hand. Now you're saying thank you with your mouth either way, but instead of waving it or brushing it as- yeah. aside. That's cool. And suggestion was turn your hand over and bring it in. See, that seems like a more valuable way to teach uh, nonverbals. Right. There's ways to enhance your life using the nonverbals instead of evaluating everyone else. Right. It's not for the purpose of judging. No, we already it, do enough well, of that. Well, and what you might be finding out when you're trying to use it on somebody is you might get that they're, they're taking like a defensive posture. Mm-hmm. But you don't know why. But you right. could interpret, oh, so he doesn't like what I'm saying right now because he's going into a defensive posture. But mm-hmm. it might be he doesn't like this whole experience of being in this position because it reminds him of something that happened. And it and may it not have anything to do with Probably has and nothing to do so with we're always Even though you might be right about a response that they're mm-hmm. having, you may not be accurate about the interpretation of the response. You don't right. know the data behind it. And always question your interpretation. Totally. Because we don't know everybody's story. Yeah. You know, another example, if you're standing talking to someone and they shift their feet to point toward the door. Yeah. Good to be with you. It was just like, (laughs) okay. We can interpret that in a number of ways. 
But what if we just pick up on those social cues and realize, oh, I may be holding them here a little longer than they really want. Yeah. And they're being yeah. polite. No, you know, totally. But their body language is saying, you know, I've got somewhere I need to be. Mm-hmm. Could it enhance our social skills to yeah. notice that? Well, and, and to notice it, absolutely. And have you ever been with somebody that you were now intentionally ratcheting up the nonverbals because you have to leave? Yeah. So you start actually not just even pointing your feet toward the door. You start taking steps toward the door and they still keep talking and following <laughs> you. So it's – sometimes the signs are there. Do you get this with clients oh, sometimes? Yeah, and just people – There are times admit, when I get up yeah. and open the door yeah. and they're still sitting. No, I've, I've actually had someone follow me all the way to the car. <laughs> and then I'm pulling the car out and I'm literally you pulling well, away and they're okay, still talking bye. to me. Yeah. And I've even been overtly saying, I've really got to go. I've got to go. I'm, I'm, I'm right. waiting. My family's waiting for me. The, just one more thing. The body language cues yeah. are, are subtle at first. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. But normally. Yeah. They'll be subtle. Learning what our own body language is communicating can really help us to to understand how we're impacting other people and how we're showing up yeah. in a relationship. Being aware of that helps us to interpret and become more socially astute as we're interacting with other people. Right. So it's a very valuable thing to know about. Like I said, the risk is over-interpreting it or concluding that it means something. Hmm. What I would suggest is stay in the question. And if you see someone fold their arms, for example, yeah. instead of challenging them about that or say, oh, so you're putting up a gate. So yeah. no, please don't do this. Yeah. That's a social faux pas. But instead, stay in the question and ask yourself, oh, interesting. Okay, this is going on in your own mind. Yeah. And then here's another uh, clue that Anne shared with me when I interviewed her on my show. Ask yourself, why would I do that? Hmm. See, this helps you to get outside of yourself by bringing it back inside of yourself. I know that sounds paradoxical. But asking yourself, why would I do that? And then you can be less judgmental about them. It might be, well, I might do that if I'm feeling mildly uncomfortable or if I'm feeling pressured or... I might do that if I just don't know what else to do with my hands yeah. and I'm I'm feeling uncomfortable in some way. Have you ever noticed that – and help me uh, understand this. If you um, – once you learn this and then you're sitting there in a meeting and you notice you naturally cross your arms mm-hmm. um, and then you realize, oh, yeah, but I just listened to that PJ. Uh, I just listened to Dr. Paul talk about how we shouldn't cross our arms. So then I uncross my arms – but I uh-huh. might feel just as uncomfortable. But oh, now yeah. my arms aren't crossed. Maybe more. And maybe more because mm-hmm. – so the mere fact that they're not doing something doesn't also mean anything right. either. So again, don't overinterpret it. Yeah. Just pay attention to it and notice it. But it's it is part of our communication. And your body cannot not communicate. Paul Watzlawick says one right. cannot not communicate. So. It's coming out. It's going to come out one way or another. If you keep fidgeting, if you keep moving, you're, there's some discomfort here. Mm-hmm. Do we want to point it out to somebody? Like not that they uncross their arms, but how are you doing in this? It seems like, it seems like this is harder for you than, than maybe you're letting on. That might be a cue for you to shift gears a little bit. Yeah, to change something up. 
maybe or maybe not. So you don't yeah. have to worry about, you know, I have to do something differently right now. Right. Just notice it and then, like I said, stay in stay the question. In and then – and see – and just try to understand why you would do such a thing. Don't judge it as harshly. Any other advice uh, for us as we're trying to make sure we we use mm-hmm. this information to a healthier end? Well, and I'm glad that you said that, Matt, because I think that there's healthy and unhealthy ways to approach almost anything. Yeah. Use compassion and be gentle and kind. I, I know that sounds like maybe old-fashioned advice. But it's really good advice, too. Totally. So instead of calling someone out on their body language, which would be abrupt, invasive, um, perhaps offensive, mm-hmm. instead just stay in the question, I wonder what this might mean, and then be willing to shift gears. Yeah. And you can even say it that way. I wonder if we should take this Table a little this. different yeah. direction. Yeah, that's You cool. know, if you see your spouse becoming very gated or defensive— I, w- I wonder if we should take this a different direction mm-hmm. so that it feels more comfortable, productive. more real. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. And then be willing to change. I mean, that's humility, right? Right. And and you cannot not – people know if you're not willing to change. Yeah. They'll, they'll see it very quickly. <laughs> they'll see if you're also empathic. They'll see if you're caring and compassionate. Mm-hmm. So if you want to beget compassion, you've got to be compassionate. You know, I used to work with kids a lot, and there was an exercise I did sometimes with my child clients, a sentence completion activity. So yeah. I would say the first part of a sentence, they would say the end of it. And there was this one stem that always got the same response. What was it? If you want to make friends, you have to... Give them Twinkies. Be nice. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Give them Twinkies. That may have been a number two answer. Yeah, that was it. They, you have to be nice. Be nice. Kids know this. Isn't that funny? They do know it. How simple is that? And the rest of us, you know, we complicate it. Yeah. If you want to have friends, you have to post a lot of stuff on Facebook. So body language can be a complicated or complex issue, part of our communication patterns. What it really comes down to with this or any other tool that that we've shared on this program is to be nice. Yeah. Be a genuinely decent human being. Treat be, people the way that you would like to be treated. Be present. Stay in the, stay question, in the question. Stay in the moment. Forget about judgment. We do enough of that. Yeah. And we, yeah, we get enough of that. That ain't easy. For sure. Dr. Paul Jenkins is his name. Paul, where can we find you and what's your next adventure? Well, my ongoing adventure, as you mentioned, is YouTube. Yeah. Um, new episodes daily. On that channel. So we're cranking out a lot of content. And I hope that that's valuable. No, it is. It you is know, valuable. And it's, 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 it's actually deadly to you. Because well, it's a lot of work to get it is a lot content of work. out. But, you know, I've, I've gotten enough feedback from viewers that it's making a difference. That's great. We're going to continue to do that for a while. That's awesome. So that's the main adventure. And then just staying positive. Stay on you know, positive. That is, that is my whole business is helping people to understand. And you've heard it before. Just stay positive. It, yeah. I think it's my job to help people understand how and why that happens. Yeah, and how to do it. Help them operate the equipment properly. Their own mind. That's right. Dr. Yes. Paul Jenkins is the website, drpauljenkins.com, or just go to YouTube and look up his uh, – just, just while you're on YouTube, search Live on Purpose TV. Yeah. Paul, thanks. 
Thank you, man. You're the best. We'll continue the journey up next. We'll do a little coaches. Not not a coaches corner. We're going to do some empty news with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. And then uh, following that, some uh, good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be with us. It's time, folks, for a little empty news with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Jeffrey, what's going on in the empty news category? I want you to tell me what you think is going on in this guy's head. I think I know, but I want to hear it from okay. you. Okay. So <laughs> We'll see if I have any clue. There's a man that went on a rampage and trashed the inside of, a Massa- of the Massachusetts Police Department. Just before 1 p.m. Sunday, the man walked into the Grafton Police Department not looking for help, but Uh-oh. to cause trouble. Surveillance video shows him kick a hole in the wall right as he walks inside. I didn't even know that was easy to do. <laughs> uh, he's seen throwing his bag across the lobby and then heads straight for the brochures. I didn't also didn't know the police department had brochures. Like, you want to take a vacation here? Just commit a crime. That's it. We have take delightful <laughs> packages. We can put you in the comfy suite that is... You know, ten square feet. Yeah. Would you like a Would you like a room with a view? Some or? might say that it's it's confined, but we just call it comfy. <laughs> Great good. cell service. Yeah. Uh, ooh, nice pun there. That's by the very way, very good pun. Uh, he's seen tearing down shelves and pictures and throwing them across the room. Glass can be seen shattering in the video. The man can be seen stomping on a photo. Interesting. Yes. Before stumbling back to the entrance. It didn't take long for officers to walk inside just as he was about to head out. The suspect laid on the ground, put his hands behind his back, and was arrested without incident. Wow. Days later, a hole remains at the entrance, and uh, the walls are bare. I'm going to bet there was another thing going on there. I'm guessing. Some some people might say that there was some substance involved. I'm not even convinced of that. When I lived in Seattle... I was aware that there was a problem of people going into grocery stores and stealing, being okay with being caught because it meant that they would have a place to sleep for yeah. the night. No, some people They'd have a meal. Need, they just to need eat. a place to be. I'm wondering if that's what's going on here. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's sad. That is sad. But, uh, you know, those brochures make it look like a nice place to visit. I might want to give it a like a, That seems like a bait and switch. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then I think we have time for this other one here. Yeah. There's a 12-year-old boy who got into a little bit of trouble in Alabama when oh, he boy. took his parents' car out for a 75-mile joyride. How 12-year-old? He went across state lines. <laughs> he was able to go 75 miles before he was caught. And the only reason he was caught is because he stopped to refill the gas tank. Well, did he have a credit card? I, I don't know what his plan was beyond uh, stopping to put gas in it. He was stopped by the gas station attendant in Mississippi. And uh, when officials arrived on the scene, they were surprised a 12-year-old was able to drive so far without getting in a wreck. Yeah. Uh, so he drove for about an hour and a half. There was no damage on the vehicle, and he got there safely, said Perry County Sheriff Mitch Nobles. It's not clear if any charges will be filed, but officials say they expect the boy's parents will bring down a harsh enough punishment. Wow. He made it across state lines. That, he is a proactive He did kid. it. Res- he, he was responsible. He yeah. didn't get any. didn't get into an accident. He was going to fill the gas tank back up. Yeah. They wouldn't the rule, have even right? known if he hadn't been... Detained. Right. But he's young enough. It made me think about one of the shows 
that we have as a sponsor here on the show. Uh, well, I don't. I don't want to give you too much of the details. Well, maybe but just play it. It takes place in uh, South Carolina, and, and here's the promo for it. On the next SCPD night shift, <laughs> it's 2 a.m. and I'm currently in pursuit of a half-naked male heading south on Veneer Street. I've got him clocked at 1.5 miles per hour. And most people think it's the high-speed chases that are dangerous, but it's actually the low-speed ones that give you the most trouble. Suspect appears to be topless, and it also looks like he's wielding a bottle. Uh, oh, he he just took a swig from it now, and he's uh, zigzagging all over the place. I swear these perps are looking younger and younger every day. Oh, okay, he's slowing down now. He's slowing down. Looks like his battery gave out on him. Time to take this guy into custody. Sir, do you realize how slow you were going back there? Uh, sir, I'd appreciate it if you didn't use that kind of language with me. Mama. Sir, your speech is clearly slurred. Oh, I'm going to have to place you under arrest for your safety and the safety of the other drivers. Okay, I'm going to need backup on this one. This perp is taunting the officer Mama. and he keeps getting out of his cuffs. Oh, SCPD, night shift. <laughs> Cleaning up the streets of South Carolina, one toddler at a time. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, and it's time. It is time to uh, go down to our good friends Spencer and Jerem um, down at BYU Sports Nation. And I hear and have and see that they're walking around dressed to the nines, all tuxedoed out. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Hi. What's with what's with all the what's with all the garb? What's with the beautiful tuxedo clothes? Well, it's our annual tuxedo day on BYU Sports Nation, <laughs> which follows up the Y Awards from the previous night. So Y Awards are the BYU Athletics ESPYS. Did, did you Awards. did you all we hosted for the hosted fourth year in a row? Yeah. So and then you've got the tuxedos for twenty four hours, so you've got a few yeah, more hours on them. We got to take them back later, but uh, we we have a no tie policy except for tuxedo day. <laughs> uh, in in Studio B on the show. Do you want to describe your tuxedos for those uh, that aren't enjoying it visually? Yeah. Go ahead. Jeremy, you first? Okay, I'll go first. I have a classic black Michael Kors tuxedo on. Mm. Slim fit. Ooh, yeah. A little bit of that uh, shorter jacket. Oh, wow. Like Like just barely to your hips? Something like that. <laughs> black like, vest. Kind of like a matador jacket, isn't it? Firmly pressed and crisp white shirt wow. with a sparkly striped silver tie. Wow. And by the way, it's on day two. Uh, yes. So it's gotta be a little it's gotta be a little uh rank. This is morning one. A well, morning I, one. I hang my things up properly. Okay, that's good. That's really good. And okay. mine's blue. <laughs> is yours the blue uh like the seventies ruffled collar, ruffled shirt one? No, that would be awesome. That would be way awesome. Yours is yours is a blue tuxedo. Do you also have the matador jacket? I don't know. It's blue. Okay. Yeah, you're not into apparel, obviously. Not this apparel. It's apparent you're not into apparel. Apparently. Okay. I thought you were all celebrating uh, the opening day of Major League Baseball. We're excited for that. Uh, we're we're going to talk about that on the show as well. Cool. I'm a Mariners fan. Are you? And You're still a Mariners fan. Still a Mariners fan. Spencer's an Orioles fan. You know, the Houston Astros are going to win it again. Stop it. 
Probably. Just to let you know. It's not that easy in baseball. Baseball is very fickle. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. As Jeffrey knows. Jeffrey. His, his Doyers were one game away, man. I know. But you know what? You can't win everything. Everyone thought the Cubs would have this run of a couple of years, and they still might. But So is, is that – you're not wearing the tuxes for that, but you are excited for it. But it's also – sometimes it's hard to get excited for it because the season is so long. Well, here's what happens. You get excited right now, then it cools off, and then uh, in the middle of the summer you go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's still great. It's great. And there's a race. And, and then there's when a race. football starts, you're like – is my team in it or not? There you go. And in my case, it's like, no. So then I'm like, well, we'll see you next year, guys, Yeah. as we engage in football. Speaking of, uh, we're going to talk to Zach Wilson, standout freshman quarterback. Yeah. His BYU Sports Nation debut. The Brigham's. Holy cow. Uh, he's on the show today. Sure, sure. Rory Linkletter, the male athlete of the year, is on the show. He took second place in the, in the 10K at the NCAA Championships last year. He was also, he and his uh, fiance were number one in our power couples. Oh, wow. Last night that we debuted. <laughs> is, is that a new category, power couples? Well, we've done it three years in a row, but we showed it this year. That's you know, cool. For the That's first great. Time. I like and, it. And they had complained yeah. the first two years. So they got engaged, and they both like did stuff more. Yeah. Uh, did more stuff. So now they're in. It's happening. Yeah. And we'll, we'll uh, tell you some of the fun stuff from the Wirewoods. It's a, it's a fun show today. See? Practice 11 of football yesterday. We'll tell you how it went. Why the offense is dominating, and, and if I you're know. concerned— that should be concerned. Well, except that's a good sign. They bring Grimes in, and the next thing you know, offense starts to dominate. BYU fans love good offense. They don't root for the defense. So true, especially in the spring like a, like situation. In the, like in the spring game in years gone by, the offense will score a touchdown. Yay! If there's an interception, it's like, what's going on with the quarterback? Why did he throw to that guy? What's he it's like, good plays are being made on yeah. one side of the ball. This is good. It's a good sign. Okay, so I, I, let me give you something before I let you go because um, I know you guys have young kids, uh, and we were worried about this. Do you guys have rubber duckies at your house? I, I think have, I have one. one. Yeah. Okay, throw one. it out. Why? Throw it out. I like singing the song. Well, you may be singing a different song if you uh, if you spend too much time with that rubber ducky. According to scientists, there is there's those rubber duckies are dirty. <laughs> Oh. Inside. Uh, Rubber ducky, you're not the one. Ex- exactly, because a murky liquid will come out and ruin all the fun. Oh. And in that murky liquid are p- potentially pathogenic bacteria. According, four out of five rubber duckies tested have ugly innards. Pathogenic bacteria <laughs> is not fun. <laughs> so, what are we supposed to do? Toss them. I know that, but in place of the rubber ducky. Uh, just let your kid make little, I used to pretend like I was a bartender and I would just get my, all the shampoo in our house and I would make, I'd mix drinks <laughs> and then I'd pretend like I would drink them and then I'd get sick. That well, way. that's one take. It's a healthier, one way to a lot. It. It's all a healthier right. way to get sick. All right. A healthier way to be ill. So you can either use the rubber ducky to get sick or you can just drink shampoo. I so this that. is one scientist. I want to hear another science. I want a second opinion. No, I t- in I, science we don't get a second opinion. We're just like, oh, that's a fact. He, I guess. Let me. Here's the test you do. Okay, you go fill up your rubber ducky with water, and then pour it into a glass, and that's then for one year, and then just drink it, <laughs> and see how you feel in about six minutes. That's the test. Wow, just really disappointing, you know. Anyway, I'm trying to protect your children. I can't do everything, but I did bring you the truth. Thank you. I'm sorry.
Well, I want a second opinion, like I said. Instead of saying scientists say it, can we just say science says? Yeah. Science says, (laughs) overall. The discovery of things that already existed but we didn't know that we think we know now. Nasty bugs, folks, inside of those ducks. And by the way, it's true. You squeeze any duck, you're going to get weird-looking fluids. But if you squeeze a rubber duck, you're going to get these holy cow, these potentially pathogenic bacteria, Mm. which is, you know, it's going to make you sick. I won't even give you the data behind it, but 75 million cells per square centimeter of bacteria. That's disgusting. And fungus. This is barely being discovered. Yeah. Also, just another important point is teach your kids not to squeeze anything and then drink the fluids coming out of it. That's not true. It doesn't matter what it is. No, fruit is good. Right? That's true. Fruit would be good. Come on. Like a grapefruit? I guess I was thinking of a little kid in the bathtub. Cut in half? Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Orange. So just know we're looking out for you. We care about you you. that much. Thank you. May, may the force be with you. Guys, I'm proud that you look so great. And Thank you, Matt. I'm, I'm excited to watch the show today. It's great for radio. And and feel free to walk around the offices a little bit more today, too, in your time. I have a meeting right after this, and I'm like, do I change no. or do I just go to the meeting? Wear it. Wear it. Yeah. Good luck, gentlemen. Have a great show. Yeah, they should wear their tuxes to the meetings. We never... We, you never dress up for our meetings. Are they wearing cummerbunds is my real question. Is it cumber or cummer? Uh, cumber, I thought it was. I think it's a cumber. I thought it was cummerbund. Let's go see. I bet it is. Should they – and do you know how to wear one appropriately? I haven't worn one since I was in a jazz choir in high school. Uh, yeah, me too. I was in choir in school. Did you have to wear a, a cumber or cummerbund? Yes. And what's the verdict on the pronunciation? Uh, there is no B. There, or, what? Well, well, there is, just uh, not till later. Come on. The, oh, actually, this uh, – Oh, I guess it could be either way. Cumberbund, also known as Cummerbund, Cummerbund, or or Cummerbund, or is a wide waist sash usually how worn. How about Cumberbund? No, so it, it, I guess people pronounce or the people say it both ways or three different ways. Okay, Cumberbund. People Google Cumberbund, it both ways, but Cummerbund. We can both be right. Yeah, I think it's Cummerbund, but um, millennials your age may say it differently. Wrong. Uh, okay, it's time for a hero story, folks. As you know, we love uh, the heroes, and we like to highlight them on the show. So a neighbor is being called a hero after helping to get residents out of a house fire in Connecticut Sunday morning. Anthony Petrella ran across the street and helped two adults, four children, and their dog escape to safety. Arriving fire crews responding to the two-alarm fire found flames on the outside of the home's garage. Uh, fire officials called Petrella a hero for his actions to get the residents out of the home. Our neighborhood is very close and very tight. I really think that anyone who's put in that situation would have done the same thing, says Petrella. I didn't do anything special by any means. The cause of the fire has not been determined, but uh, he is still the hero of the day. Anthony Petrella out of Connecticut. Thank you so much for uh, doing what you had to do and being there for those uh, just, just innocent people needing and dog, by the way. Needing a little helping hand. That's the show. We're done, my friends. We will be back again tomorrow to do what we can to give the information you need to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. But stick with us uh, because BYU Sports Nation is up next.